dead serious about horror movies we have a bi-weekly show that's released every other friday and this is episode 142 and this is a themed episode where we talk about the weird or aka weird fiction is that the right designation for that term joshua i think so yeah. okay good so on horror movie podcast you'll hear in-depth horror movie reviews especially for new releases with ratings and recommendations to help you decide whether you should buy rent or avoid these movies and i'm your host jay of the dead podcasting from salt lake city and my co-hosts tonight are dave dr shock becker from just outside philadelphia pa and wolfman josh and jay i don't remember anything about what happened so don't even ask me <laughs> And Carl Cedarholm, otherwise known as Carl of Cthulhu. Yes. Carl, welcome back. Carl of Cthulhu. For people who um, might not remember, if they don't remember, then shame on you because Carl's been one of our favorite guests. He is an H.P. Lovecraft scholar, and he is um, the author of the book, The Age of Lovecraft. And uh, he has helped us out on a couple of episodes. Um, Most notably, I think one of my favorites was when he was on our H.P. Lovecraft 101, an introduction, just fantastic episode there. Uh And um, go ahead, Carl. I keep talking over you like a jerk. Sorry. I'm just chiming in because I've had so much fun on this show that I'm just always happy to be back. Thank you. Josh, anything else I left out about Carl? I know I always leave things out. No, he's been a Horror Cinema Awards juror two years running, so we appreciate that, obviously. And um, also from our heavy metal horror episode, Carl's a a heavy metal guy as well, so it's Mm -hmm. fun to have him on. And I think this concept of of weird fiction first came up when he was on for our H.P. Lovecraft episode, actually. And we talked a little bit about the weird and how that relates to horror. Some people would call it like a subgenre of horror but that was kind of built into the dna of a lot of lovecraftian films and so when the idea came up to do this episode i thought well we've got to have carl back to explain this to us yeah, <laughs> seriously yeah because what i appreciate about you carl is i'm sure you're smarter than i am in basically all aspects of life but especially like where i'm weakest you have a particular expertise in that area so with lovecraft and also with heavy metal so those are two of my weaker areas. So why don't you, let, let's just imagine, because I'm basically on like first grade level here, imagine maybe there are listeners who aren't as familiar with this concept of weird fiction or the weird, and uh, give us kind of a primer on that, Carl. Well, you know, one of the first things I would say is that it really is taking off in ways that are really surprising. I mean, it, it weird, I'll define it a little bit in, in just a minute, but Weird really grows out of Lovecraft's continuing popularity. And um, since about maybe oh, early 2000s, late 1990s, there's actually been this movement in fiction that's called the New Weird. And the New Weird is voices like Jeff Vandermeer, the guy that wrote uh, the novel Annihilation. The New Weird authors are trying to 
kind of update Lovecraft by preserving a sense of how strange everything around us really is, um, but not necessarily following his style of plot, um, including some of his assumptions about the world and other things like that. Mm-hmm. And the basic premise is that the world as we experience is unknowable and unrepresentable. So we can't put it into speech. We can't put it into writing. It's too strange and too bizarre for us to really process it. And so the weird is kind of an invitation for us to consider the possibility that we humans are not the center of everything and that the world isn't anything like we think it is. And once we accept these things, we're at risk for complete and total insanity. <laughs> <laughs> great. I, I love I that. I love that. Great. And I and I love as I've been kind of exploring how the weird, you know, is represented in more contemporary cinema, a lot of the films I'd already seen and not really had a way to articulate what it was I was experiencing because this is a new kind of concept to me. And it was really as I was studying up on they remain and I was reading the director's statement, he started talking about the weird and he mentioned, you know, some of these authors that you've talked about, obviously Lovecraft. He mentions Franz Kafka. Uh, He mentions lesser known, Authors like Robert Eichmann, Victor Lavelle, Jeff Andermeer, and Kelly Link, Laird Barron. Yeah. Yeah. And it was interesting kind of looking into, oh, okay, well, The Thing is arguably my favorite horror film of all time. And it really has a lot in common with this idea of the weird. And And it was fascinating kind of looking through so many films that I'm very familiar with from Alien to Altered States to you know the works of Tartkovsky with with Stalker and Solaris and Sphere and Event Horizon just a, a lot of science fiction horror is really where I, you see a big crossover I think yeah. with the weird in terms of cinema. You know I'll add a, a couple thoughts to that. One thing that I really like to point out about the weird is that maybe it's not a genre so much as it is um, a mode. In other words, it's something that a storyteller, a filmmaker, whatever, can kind of pick up and use, um, but it doesn't necessarily have to take over the whole film, for for instance. So like a film like Event Horizon can have traditional science fiction tropes, but then it takes on that, that otherworldly, bizarre, unexpected aspect of the weird that gives it that extra layer of discomfort. The weird for Lovecraft is really an atmosphere of such mm-hmm. great discomfort that you start to question everything. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Just a, a real, the unknowability of the world you're in and humanity's inability to kind of make sense of what's happening around them. I love that aspect of this mm-hmm. stuff. You know, and you mentioned the thing and I, John Carpenter is such a master of this of this style because he also has Prince of Darkness, which is really yeah. about those characters trying to process that green goop, you know, that vat of green goop that's supposed to be Satan, and they're all trying to figure out what this means with science and and with with religion, and none of their explanations work, and you still are faced with this green goop. That's classic weird in my in my view. And then he also has that movie in the mouth of madness. (laughs) 
kind of rest some of those similar kinds of things. <laughs> a movie I I'm here too for I've not seen. I've been too afraid to watch in the mouth of madness. <laughs> In Based on the premise yes. that if you read the book, you go crazy. I, I my whole my belief uh, all throughout high school, as my friends would try to convince me to watch that with them, is that if I saw the film, I would also go insane, and <laughs> oh. everything was, uh, you know, trying to convince me to see this movie, and so uh, <laughs> I've avoided it until now. Oh, you would love it. It's really it's <laughs> it is good. Fun. It's 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 excellent. I mean, it kind of. I think it's one of Carpenter's best in the nineties. You know, he was always considered the nineties weren't considered his strongest decade, but um, then you watch something like in the mouth of madness and you just realize that, you know, he didn't lose as much as people are saying he did uh, in the nineties. So I really like in the mouth of madness. I thought it was excellent. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And how yeah. related is that to Lovecraft's mountains of madness? Um, probably probably not related in a, in a direct way, just a, an echo in the title. Um, but certainly thematically and tonally, he's doing a Lovecraft type thing with that film. So Carl, just a couple of questions then. Um, so one thing that I'm picking up, cause the, yeah, I, I was pretty blank on this. In fact, like when, when Josh sent this really um, nice text, it was kind of in depth or an email where I was like learning about it as I was reading about Josh's description for this ec- episode. And it seems like there's um, something about it that's that's unnatural or at least unnatural to what we're familiar with, right? So um, maybe the truth, quote unquote truth out there this is part of the natural world, but it's part that we don't understand. It's beyond our understanding. Is that, so is that accurate so far? Yeah. It doesn't have to be the natural world, but it has to, um, but often it is where they make the natural world just appear so unusual that you can't process it. But it could be like in the case of Ridley Scott's alien, it could be something from maybe a part of the universe. We don't know, or something Mm -hmm. could that too but it has to feel natural to the story. So it wouldn't just be an adventurer goes to a really bizarre place. It would be that an adventurer leaves like Providence, Rhode Island and goes down a mysterious street and starts to encounter the world in ways that he or she's never had before, or encounters a monster in a setting that wouldn't make sense, things like that. Okay. And it seems like there sometimes is like an organic or body horror element to what's happening as well. Like something for me that's like uncanny or just kind of plays with the gross weirdness of the body or with, of nature, you know, just again, from what I've been able to glean. That's especially true of the new weird. They, those authors really like this kind of body horror, David Cronenberg kind of stuff where the body is decaying or it's sick or something is happening to mutate it. Yeah. Yeah. They really love that stuff. The, the, the filmmakers that sort of leapt, uh, leapt to mind when I was, uh, you know, reading up on this were definitely, definitely Cronenberg, but also like Stuart Gordon, things like from beyond and, and reanimator and whatnot, obviously they're Lovecraftian. So that kind of lends itself to, to the weird, I think. Mm-hmm. Yeah, for sure. It's amazing how popular those films have been all these years later. They're still cult classics. And I, and I really do think they still inform a lot of people's thinking about the way these things work. And uh, they're both really invested in this issue of body horror and, and, and that kind of comic side too, 
um, where you kind of go mad, but you're also laughing all the way. Right. <laughs> right. You know. Well, Jay and I both mm-hmm. watched um, Tarkovsky's Stalker this week because uh, the filmmakers behind Annihilation and they remain both named Stalker as a big influence mm-hmm. for them. And I had never seen Stalker. I'm a big fan of Tarkovsky's Solaris, which I think also plays upon this idea of what is knowable to us and um, definitely like the mind's perception of what's going on around them. Definitely. It was fascinating watching Stalker. I know Jay maybe struggled with it a little bit <laughs> yes. more than I did in terms of keeping his interest. But um, it was interesting. As I was reading up on Stalker, I found this quote from Ingemar Bergman. And he said of Tarkovsky, he says, Tarkovsky for me is the greatest director, the one who invented a new language true to the nature of film as it captures life as a reflection, life as a dream. And that, to me, that really reminded me of Annihilation and some of these themes that we're talking about. Yeah. yeah. I was very fascinated by it, Josh. I just want to say that. Yeah, it's not my kind of film, and it definitely feels like a quote-unquote art film, which is that seems pretty reductive just to say that about it, but I'm just that's, Tark- that's Tarkovsky in a lot and in, in, in a lot of ways he gives that feeling, but mm-hmm. um, even in something like Solaris, I think y- y- you get that, and obviously um, Andre Rublev, but there is something about those. Um, you know, I'm sorry, Jad, I didn't mean to interrupt you here. No, go for it. Um, but you know, something like Solaris, um, you know, he's got like I think. And and this is uh, not necessarily toward the weird, but more toward Tarkovsky, that he's got, I don't know how many minute sequence it is of just somebody driving. And it was because he had been, it was in Japan, I think, I think it was in Tokyo. Um, and for him, that looked like a futuristic city. So with Solaris, he was trying to give that impression of a futuristic city. So he's just got this long sequence in there of somebody driving down the road um, in roads that he thought looked as if you know, they would have fit in the future. Mm-hmm. And you, those are the type of things with Tarkovsky, you know, he, he does sort of um, go off. I, I don't want to say on tangents, but something like that. It just seems a little unusual in a movie like Solaris, which is a science fiction movie. Yeah. Um, especially for us nowadays, we don't see anything futuristic in it, obviously. <laughs> um, I love it. I mean, that's probably that. I don't know. That's my favorite Tarkovsky film. I, I like Andre Rublev quite a, quite a bit. But Solaris is just, uh, uh, for me, it is it is one of, I think, my favorite science fiction films. And it does get very strange <laughs> mm-hmm. as it goes on. And I and, and it, it does sort of hold your attention. Just one last note for the listeners. I, I know we're not really reviewing Stalker, but I just want to say, in terms of the look of that film, Josh, it, it's one mm-hmm. of the most intriguing like beautiful it looks like it was shot just in gold i mean it's like golden film stock or something like it's yellowed it's almost like they're living in a very bright sepia and um it's the kind of film where like all the shots i wanted to like take pictures and frame it and put it throughout my house so i i was very fascinated by the look of it but he dave is right what dave was saying he's very indulgent and takes his time in the pacing. And so yeah. I tried three nights in a row to get through it. And I just kept falling asleep. Even though I was loving it, <laughs> I fell asleep every time. <laughs> well, if you had stayed awake, I will I will let you know the second half is in the, some of the brightest color you'll, you'll see. And oh, so wow. Okay. It, it has a Wizard of Oz kind of element where it does start out in this kind of, <laughs> kind of golden sepia tone. Mm-hmm. And then it switches and... 
when when they go into the zone in that film, which is you know very reminiscent of the of the Shimmer mm-hmm. and Annihilation, or Oz. When they go into the zone or Oz. <laughs> yeah, um, we are suddenly in kind of Technicolor and nature and overgrown, and you can definitely see the influence on both Annihilation and They Remain when you watch Stalker. And I found it very fascinating, just as a as a reference point. Actually, you know, I think. Um, I enjoyed Stalker more than I would have having recently seen these other two movies, mm-hmm. um, you know, than if I had just seen it years ago on its own. But uh, but it, yeah, it does it. It'll it will follow. There's a scene as they're entering the zone where they have to uh, ride on this railroad track, and it follows just one character for quite a while, just on his face, and we see the background going by behind him kind of as Dave was describing with Solaris. And it, it does this weird thing where it does put you in these characters heads. It puts you in their space and it makes you relate to what they're going through. I think a little bit more and takes its time in a way that we never would see in a movie these days. The, the opening title card that says stalker mm-hmm. comes at the one hour mark of this movie. <laughs> <laughs> and and I can imagine wow. just as an editor having spent a lot of time editing video and films, I I thought yeah, I could probably cut 20 minutes out of this easily and it would it would increase, you know, it would make it a more modern pacing. Mm-hmm. But if you're going in knowing that you're watching an art film, um it's in, it was fascinating to watch and it really reminds you oh, people used to have a lot more patience with, you know, right. with art than they do now. <laughs> That's right. Yeah, I was trying not to be that guy, Josh. I was trying to be like, you know, a lover of cinema and really enjoy it for what it is. But yeah, so that's from my... Oh, I think it's okay. I think film is art and entertainment. And mm-hmm. I think some people, you know, go further on the on the spectrum one way or the other. And I think I'm right in the middle. So I think I can really appreciate both elements, but not... Okay. I, don't, I don't think that's necessary. I think it's okay to just love it. Film as an entertainment form too. Yeah. So that's from 1979 for the listeners. If they haven't checked it out, it's quite the experience from the parts I saw. So, so Carl, one other question about this. So it seems like there is a monstrous element. So we talked about it's difficult to classify, difficult to understand, but is it always monstrous? Is, is monstrosity always a factor in the weird? Yeah, I mean, it tends to be, I, I was thinking of some exceptions when you asked me the question, because um, in that movie, They Remain, that, you, that we'll talk about in a little while, maybe there's not a full-blown monster monster, but maybe there's a sense of the monstrous or something being unleashed or a threat that would be monstrous. So yeah, I'm not trying to dance around it. I'm just saying that typically mm-hmm. it is monstrous, but sometimes it's more the threat or the anxiety that it could be that is, that is just as relevant. I like the discovery aspect though, with they remain. And one film that I thought of was one that Dave and I had reviewed a while back called final prayer with about these two priests that go to uh, this small village to deal with uh, kind of a, a ghost or what would you say, Dave, they're going to kind of investigate some kind of supernatural event in this small town. Yes. It's almost like they're, they're investigating um, a demonic uh, presence and they're, you know, the church is getting involved with it and it turns out to be something that, yeah, obviously they, they never would have uh, fathomed uh, before. It turns out to be something completely different. Well, I I am going to, spoil a final prayer right now just because i i think it's fascinating because what Uh they 
what they uncover ultimately, and it's not really even explicit, kind of, you know, lending to this idea of not knowing exactly what you're experiencing. They basically find themselves in the belly of a beast that is this monster that is a, that is a deity that predates all of our Judeo-Christian understandings of God. And it's just kind right. of this and literally, literally in the belly of the beast. That really gels with Lovecraft's fiction, where a lot of the times that's exactly what happens, that, that they discover something, a monster or an artifact or whatever, that really predates these kind of traditional notions of the world and the way it works. And so I haven't seen Final Prayer, but it sounds to me like it certainly would really be operating on kind of a Lovecraft vibe. Hmm. Uh, yeah. Really interesting. Well, it, yeah, it is yeah. interesting because it, it does shift. It was a, it was a found footage movie that starts out like you're just like a typical paranormal found footage film. But th- as we mentioned, kind of shifts at the end, it's a movie where I could definitely enjoy a, both a prequel and a sequel to just get more of the world because it doesn't give you a lot of that, but it was fascinating um, just the bits that we got. Yeah, d- definitely a prequel. I would love to see a prequel to that. Yeah. Neat. I definitely need to check it out. So Carl, I'm just, I'm, I'm just still trying to zero in a little more. You're doing a great job, by the way, explaining this concept, <laughs> but I, I like, I like it's that we're, we're circling it and uh, narrowing it down. So is the, is the person that's, subjected to the weird like our protagonists or victims whatever you want to call them are they always kind of um lost at sea so to speak are they always untethered like throughout do they end up not i mean just basically getting lost and not being able to figure out what it is yeah that's often the case they you know and usually that untethering might take place over the whole story mm-hmm. and gradually gradually un just coming undone. And, wow. you know, the weird is kind of hard to pin down because even Lovecraft and his definitions of it, he would always just say, well, it's, it's an atmosphere. It's a mood. It's my favorite one is when he says it's something more, <laughs> you know, it's just, it's unconventional storytelling because it's reaching beyond expectation in order to threaten your sense of safety. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's like anxiety in a way. It's like, you're always worried about something happening. And, but the weird is like, not only is it, not only are you worried, but it's probably going to happen. You just don't know when. (laughs) Would it even play into, so I've heard of like some experimental types of films, like, like, and, and guys, maybe at some point we should look into this. Maybe this is pretty arty out there, but I've heard of like horror films or horror type films where, um, in order to like thoroughly disturb you, um, they they don't even have narrative structure because even even the sense of a narrative structure where scenes you know connect and there's a through line, even that is some degree of comfort. So if if that is ripped away from the viewer altogether, then they don't have anything to hold on to. Well, I would say that Stalker is that a bit? You know, I think. I went in knowing the basic premise of stalker, but if you didn't, you would really not know what's going on until a good hour and a half into the film. Mm -hmm. You know, you, you have these characters 
And in this case, it's almost as though these would be characters that, that go into the shimmer after the characters in Annihilation. But these are characters who are going into the zone. And in this case, rather than military, this is a, a thief and a scientist and a poet, essentially, going into the zone. And, and, and they have to find this room and they know it's there. And if they find the room, they're granted their deepest desire. But there's a, a push and pull with whether or not they actually want to have their deepest desire. And their fear that what if anyone could come in this room? What if an awful person came in this room? We trust ourselves, but what if our enemies were to find this room and were granted anything that they wanted? And at the same time, they're encountering this weird you know, forms of nature where the world is constantly changing around them. They might go one direction, but they can't go back. So they, so they can only move forward and they might, their destination might be 200 meters ahead of them, but they need to go around the side because the world is constantly evolving and creating these death traps for them everywhere they go. <laughs> um, and I thought that was just a fascinating thing, but, but the film, I think in true Tartakovsky style doesn't tell you what it's about. It's just very slowly giving you these little bits of information. Mm-hmm. And that's part of the interest is figuring out where am I and what's happening, you know, yeah. <laughs> as this right. is going on. That's yeah. what, that's actually what keeps your interest more than anything else is trying to figure out what's going on. So even though it was a, a very quiet film where there was very little dialogue and there would be these really long shots of not much happening, it was a film where I couldn't really ever look away because I felt if I missed the shot, I might miss this cr- crucial piece of information <laughs> to figure out what the hell's going on here. Same. You know? <laughs> totally same. Yes. <laughs> I agree. You know how um, in a, if you're in a book club, you know, people will try to p- pick books that are um, interesting to discuss. Well, if you were in a, like a film like a cinema club where you were viewing films in order to discuss it. I think this would be <laughs> stalker would be a great one for that. Right. Yeah. I've never seen it. I need to, it's, it's one that I, that I've been wanting to see for a long time. And I just like, Oh, it's like almost three hours. And I don't know. <laughs> you know, it's like, you, yeah. and, but uh, it seems to be the Tarkovsky, the Tarkovsky. Yeah. Like Solaris is, uh, two hours, 40 minutes plus. Mm-hmm. Um, when, when Soderbergh remade Solaris in 2002, I think his is like an hour shorter or yeah, something, right. you know? <laughs> yes. I mean, I, I, Annihilation does kind of feel like a remake. Of, I don't know. It is somewhere between they remain and Annihilation in terms of mm-hmm. the narrative yeah. thrust of the film. But I think it's worth your time. I mean, there's a great criterion release of it. So if you're interested in something that's more of a art experience than a narrative film, I think it's worth checking out. Mm-hmm. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. So, so Carl, I have two other things then, and, I'll, and sure. then I'll stop annoying you with, with these questions. But like one thing is, so in alien films, like if you go back to like, uh, the day the earth stood still, you know, what is it? 1951, like the, that original version. I mean, it's just, it's just a guy, you know, that walks out. They're always, they almost always seem to be humanoid or they look like us basically. And even in 1979's alien, which is a tremendous creature design, it's still, you could still make out and arms and legs and a head, but then like, you know, with the thing, which is really interesting. That's some kind of bizarre alien that that has all kinds of weird shapes, and we don't really know its 
original shape, I don't believe. And and then like even right. more recently, uh, we're starting to see this in like it's not a horror film, but Arrival. Those aliens in that film are not humanoid looking. So I, I like I like that about the weird where you get things that are you know not even familiar to us. I, I like that aspect. Yeah, it's it's got to be it's got to be alien where uh, it's just not something that we can easily process. Like I loved the reference to the day the earth stood still. Cause here you have an alien, but looks like a gut, like a man. Mm-hmm. You know, and, and you got to have like in like Cthulhu in, in Lovecraft story, the call of Cthulhu has these like octopus type tentacles and it has wings and, and, and all these different kind of parts that, I mean, I couldn't describe it all. But it's just truly alien, where you can't say, "Oh, look, it's a fish," or "Oh, look, it's a whatever." Mm-hmm. It's a monster, unclassifiable and impossible to process. And J.J. Abrams' Super Eight and Cloverfield monsters, I've heard described as monsters that would fit into the weird as well. They have that kind of, mm-hmm. uh, you know, tentacly, you know, possession and untamed were two films that I've heard. The Mist is one that I've heard called uh, part of the weird fiction mm-hmm. yeah, that makes sense. category. Yeah. Um, the Ritual, which we just talked about recently here on the show, that that monster mm-hmm. uh, you know, is definitely in the realm of the weird, it seems. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And and then like um, The Void, right? And uh, mm-hmm. Absolutely. That yeah. one too. We Are Still Here. It has that same kind of ancient monster is awoken idea which feels very lovecraftian and and also like like man-made with the monsters something like the mist and the host uh where you have the the military um you know sort of inadvertently creating these creatures that are are walking around killing people basically almost if, if they wanted to they could become like the dominant species you know you go back to movies in the 50s with with um a movie like them where they talk about how if they don't get these ants, these giant ants, they could become the dominant species on Earth. Um, and you get that sort of feeling in uh, in these other two movies as well. And I think that that I th- that's another interesting uh, aspect of it. Is, is, is It could be man-made as well. Mm-hmm. Do we know that the creatures in the mist were man-made? or Well, they talk about how the military, how, it was, how it was, uh, the military had done something at this one base. I think in the mist they... Didn't the military kind of rip open the, a hole or something? Oh yeah, that's what it was. That's yeah, correct. that that's what it was. So maybe they didn't create. That's right, they didn't create the creatures. In the host, they definitely do. They're pouring. They're like pouring all of this material into the into the river. Oh yeah, um, and they they create the creature in that movie. I think the mist world is operating on this idea of different um, dimensions that you can travel between mm-hmm. in the kind of the dark tower, you know mythology right so the the other question i had for you carl is just that name the weird so i you know i like to try to name things and (laughs) not not as a sense of discovery or whatever but i i just i like to name things and um i know that i would never ever try to you know name something that uh, lovecraft has already named but like it seems like these days, this is nitpicky, but these days that term weird is used almost more in a comedic sense. Like, 
Um, I use that all the time. Like I call people weirdos and, and I think it's funny. And, and so it's not even a scary term to me. So when I first heard this was called the weird or weird fiction, I think that that term nowadays is so familiar and over almost overused that it's taken away some of the teeth for me. I, I, I guess I wish it had a different name. Well, it's actually an interesting thing because um, it's true. The weird, like if I said that was so weird or whatever, mm-hmm. it wouldn't have any of these connotations. But some people think that we should take it back to like the time of Shakespeare because the witches in Macbeth were called the weird sisters. And it has this scent like weird mm. in the older use of the word. Weird has to do with like fate, powers that are controlling you. I don't know if tracing the history of the word is exactly the right approach here. Yeah. But at least it takes us out of the way that we use it in everyday speech. When I use the word weird, I tend to think of it more as like a style Mm -hmm. that has a name that is easily confused, but we just kind of live with it, I guess. I will say this because there were a lot of years when I didn't enjoy something that I would have called like trippy, like from beyond. And there are a lot of years where I felt queasy when I would see something like the fly or body horror. And there are definitely elements of something like annihilation where there's this uncanny element that makes me very uncomfortable. And I will say all of those things make me feel weird. (laughs) And all of those things are good examples of weird fiction. And so I do wonder if the feel, at least for me, it's actually easily identifiable. Like, Oh, that made me feel kind of weird. <laughs> that's a good example of weird fiction. I know that's like the most base way of looking at it, but really I love the it. uncanny <laughs> and all of those things really do play into this sense of unease. Definitely. You and Carl just made me feel a lot better about this. And I love that whole idea of turning to your monster and be like, uh, great. You just made it weird right there. Like, <laughs> I love this. That's hilarious. Something feels off. It's you're in that weird territory, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. It's fun, you know? Yes, that's right. Okay. So do we want to, are you guys ready to move into our first feature review where we can talk a little more about this in action within a film? Yeah. Sure. Okay. okay. Well, let's uh, move into our feature review of Annihilation. Can you describe its form? No. We've sent in drones and teams of people, but nothing comes back. But something has. The boundary's getting bigger, it's expanding. We're talking cities, states. You need to know what's inside. So do I. Annihilation is a 2018 film. It's directed by Alex Garland and is written for the screen by Alex Garland from the novel by Jeff Vandermeer. And it is about a group of people who go into what is called the Shimmer, and they are trying to basically find out what exactly is going on there. At some point in time, what looks to be a meteorite came flying into Earth's atmosphere and crashed into a lighthouse. And from that time, this Shimmer, which is pretty unknowable, has been expanding and expanding and expanding. And so the government has been keeping an eye on that and has been sending soldiers in to try to get information as to exactly what's going on inside the shimmer. And these people are not coming back. And at one point, Natalie Portman's character 
who in the film is called Lena. And as I understand it in the novel, none of these characters actually have names, much like Stalker. They're just called the scientist or the biologist or the writer. And I'm, I'm talking about Stalker because I'm not sure what the characters' names were in Annihilation. Um, but, uh, whatever, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so Natalie Portman's character in the film is called Lena, and her husband, Kane, played by Oscar Isaac, uh, goes uh, on an expedition into the shimmer and is the first person to actually come back. No one before him has ever come back. And so, but when he comes back, he is changed and he's sick and something is happening to him. So she goes to the government facility just outside the shimmer to try to find out exactly what's going on with her husband. And she finds there's a new expedition leaving to go inside the shimmer. But unlike previous expeditions, which were made up of soldiers, this one is made up of scientists, essentially. And she, being a scientist as well as someone with military training and whose husband uh, is dying, seems to be the perfect candidate to join this team. And she heads into the shimmer with these other women, um, played incredibly well by Gina Rodriguez and Jennifer Jason Lee, And it's just a great cast of characters here. Mm-hmm. But they head into the shimmer and they find that things have changed within the confines of the shimmer. And we can get into that deeper if we want or not, but that's the basic premise. Okay. Carl, what what do you have to say about it so far? Um, well, nothing. <laughs> yeah. I was looking for like a hook and I just couldn't think of anything. Okay. I'll keep going then if you guys want. Well, well, let's just for a second, Josh, before you do, I think that's so interesting because a lot of people had trouble either processing this movie or talking about it. And I think maybe that speaks to its, uh, <laughs> its affiliation with the weird. So, which I love. So sure. But, but go for it. You can <laughs> keep on going, Josh, if you want to. Well, so, I mean, the, the basic idea here, and we will, we're not going to spoil the ending, but we do have to talk about the basic premise of what is going on inside the walls of the shimmer, but essentially um, nature is changing and it's thriving. And so the world has become overgrown inside the shimmer, um, but also the, very soon into their journey, they notice plant life that, Uh, seems impossible for our earth. They find animals that seem impossible for our earth. And and then they start to find horrors of nature as they continue further. And the things get a little more weird. You know, they go from um, being kind of beautiful and interesting to being kind of shocking and terrifying. And for me, reminiscent of John Carpenter's The Thing to some degree, just really um, shocking imagery and, and scary things that that happen to them. And then other elements that almost feel supernatural as the film goes on. And and basically what you have are these people trying to come to grips with the reality around them. But really what I think the story is about is about self-destruction and about how each of these characters is is self-destructive or destructing in some way and dealing with that. And I think, um, the forces at play in within the shimmer are pushing them further in the direction they were already going. If that yeah. makes sense. Yeah. I, th- I think that's right. I mean, and there is, there is a point in the film where um, Jennifer Jason Lee, Lee's character is talking to Natalie Portman's character about this issue that this, that, 
human beings tend always towards this self-destructive quality. And, and, I, and I thought that was a really nice thematic statement for the film because this is kind of, this is what we do. We explore, we try to understand the unknowable. Um, but as we push, push, push towards this greater understanding, we're, we're kind of simultaneously self-destructing along, along the way, something, something like, like that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I think what's hopeful about this film is not something that feels hopeful to a human being, right? It's it's a lot of what we see in body snatcher movies or yeah. you know more intelligent alien species movies where they say, "Well, yeah, humankind is going to be destroyed, but you're going to be so much better for it afterward." <laughs> I mean, the Earth will be much better without humans here, you know, and, and it has that kind of feel to it you know you see that in a lot of body snatcher movies it's fine it's so much better let us take over your body you're going to feel so much better there's no pain there's no hurt and in in this film it has an element of that but it also has this element because natalie portman's character and her husband were also going through their own personal uh, relationship drama and i think this film acts also as what's going on in the shimmer acts as a metaphor for what's going on in their relationship which is this idea well this relationship may be destroyed and that's something, but if we can come out the other end of it, we, we might not be the same people we were. We may have been changed, but maybe we're stronger and better for that as well. And it's going to be painful and it's going to be awful, but does growth come through does progress come through this process? And so I, there's yes. so much going on in the movie. It's actually hard to, like you say, Jay, it's hard to articulate because there's so many different things going on. But, but I think to me, that's a lot of the film is about this idea of it's very similar actually to the last Jedi in some ways, <laughs> uh, the, the most recent star Wars movie that the old has to die for the new thing to live. Mm-hmm. And, and sometimes that's us. And sometimes that's our relationships. And sometimes it's our old ways of being, but if we can die, we'll be regenerated and reborn in this better form possibly. Wow. I, I think you're hitting on it right there. And that's why I, I loved Annihilation. This film really struck me a lot. And, and I I was there were people who either despised it or people who loved it. It seemed like it was very divisive. But Josh, that was one of the, the themes that hit home with me is how um, it's almost like the more, like especially in a relationship setting, and I think of like, you know, with, with your partner, like over time, the more that you get to know that person and, and as they shift and change, like, you know, they get to know themselves or something within them changes. Um, a lot of time there's strain that accompanies that. I mean, I, I think like in romantic comedies in a different genre, you know, it's like, you know, the more you get to know a person, they're quirky. Yes. And that causes problems, but you, you love them and you learn to work together. But I think in, a lot of times in something like like a horror genre that that uh that unknown aspect of, of what's inside of that person the the degree to which you don't know your partner and how that can shift and change over time is um is very scary to me and and so that that rang true as I watched this film you know that also comes across i think in um, there's a couple parts in the movie where um, when she's talking, when Lena is talking to her husband and like, I can't remember the exact way the dialogue is, but it's something like, are you Lena? I think so. 
you know, I maybe <laughs> <laughs> this constant changing. I don't want to get into any spoiler type things, but there's this sense that everything in the shimmer is constantly in motion. And I think that movie is kind of working against this idea that sometimes we have about our relationships or even about ourselves that we're static mm. and we're constantly changing and, and shifting and moving. And, and like you said, Jay, it's pretty scary actually um, because you want yes. life to be pretty consistent, but this movie is kind of making it alien in a way and, and mm. helping us understand how scary it can really be. Yeah. What do you do when the person you love is a moving target, right? Or, or you yourself? <laughs> yeah, go ahead, Josh. Sorry. No, I just, I, I love Alex Garland. His debut novel, the beach, I think is one of the most underrated. Uh, well, this, the film adaptation, I should say by Danny Boyle is one of the most underrated films because I, I love the novel as well, but the movie I think is just captures the energy of the novel so well. And I don't know why people don't like it. I think it's incredible. And I, they love Alex Garland and Danny Boyle and other situations. But I would say give The Beach another try. But other than that, you know, he's done a lot of great horror and science fiction outside of The Beach. He's done Sunshine, which we love, 28 Days Later, which we love, you know, Ex Machina. And I think he handles these idea of these bigger life questions and using the horror setting to investigate you know, those, those human emotions and, and human shortcomings so well, I think, I you know you talked about that recently on the movie moments podcast, Jay with, with William Rowan jr. And 28 days later, mm-hmm. what you said there, I thought was fantastic. And people, if they haven't heard um, that podcast should listen to it. I think annihilation is a movie that maybe some horror fans are not going to come to right away. Like you said, it is kind of divisive because I think, it is a little because of I think it's aspects of the of weird fiction. It is a little bit harder to get your arms around and really see what it's saying unless you're really coming to think about it deeply. It's filled with flowers and rainbows and an all female cast, and so I think that might be <laughs> off putting to to some horror fans. But really, I think if you if you like Alex Garland and what he did with Ex Machina or, or Sunshine and Twenty Eight Days Later, he's doing really the a very similar thing here, and and I was really impressed with what he did. But what I wanted to ask Carl was um, how does this compare to your experience with the novel? Cause I understood you, you've read it a couple of times. Yeah, I read it. I read it a couple of times last year because I was working on a project about new weird authors and I wanted to talk about Jeff Vandermeer and I ended up uh, cutting the parts about annihilation from the paper and wrote about his other book, city of saints and madmen instead. But um, mm. annihilation is the movie is like it in the sense that it's, the novel's really beautifully written and really engaging, but it's also, it doesn't take you down the paths you want it to. And the one thing that the novel kind of did for me that didn't really come through in the movie, I think for good reason, is the novel really reflects a little bit on language, um, where when they're inside, they don't call it the shimmer, I can't remember what they call it, but when they're in that area, um, words start to form out of, natural objects and there's this sense that it's trying to communicate with them and and mm. i kind of read the novel as a meditation on on language and meaning and and if i write something down that has intention and meaning and purpose but if nature forms a word how am i supposed to understand that um wow in term- that's in term- that's deep <laughs> yeah, it's deep and it's a trip and in some ways, the novel is really frustrating. He takes you down paths and then he kind of cuts them off. And 
uh, it's book one of a trilogy, and the trilogy gets more and more frustrating as it goes because he starts to just withhold more and more. But that's the point, I think. You know? Yeah, I love what you're saying there because I think that really does seem to be an aspect of weird fiction that I respond to. It's something I noticed in They Remain, and we can talk about that more when we get to that movie. But I love this idea. It is very frustrating, I think especially as a genre aficionado because in horror we're so used to our genre tropes and mm-hmm. so to have a film that just will not go the way you're expecting it to go is is a little bit frustrating as a genre fan you're like well, this is what's supposed to happen here i know but it's not what the movie does you know in in both the case of this and they remain and it was it is kind of interesting to see uh, and to go on that ride because it's it's new and different and i had no idea where it was going other than a couple of key moments in the film version, yeah. it would not kind of deliver on what we expected from the genre. I really liked the way that Alex Garland adapted the story because I felt like he he let us put together some of the dots faster. And then when he started to go into the unknowable territory, the visuals were so beautiful. I, like I personally was okay with the alien and the unknown because I mm-hmm. it was <laughs> yeah and so i think i think the visual aspect of the weird there was was really alluring in ways that the novel i like the novel but it's frustrating because you really want it to become conventional and he keeps refusing that and you don't have that benefit of just having pretty images to look at <laughs> but it does confound you a little bit if you're trying to make narrative sense of it you know yeah totally <laughs> well i and i do want to say just and and it's not right to phrase it in defense of the film, but I think for people, for horror fans who are listening out there who have kind of my sensibilities, which are a little more, what what would you call them, Josh? Like a little more, mm, I know it's hard to, <laughs> a little more. I think you're a slightly less patient viewer. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's good. I'll, I'll own that. That's true. And I also, um, my favorite kind of horror is set in reality or or what I mean is the world that we're familiar with and we encounter every right. day. So, but anyway, yeah, yeah, you like structure and you like things too. You you don't like open ended narratives and you like right, yeah. yeah. So so having you know admitted that I'm that kind of viewer, I will say I, I do think that this this film Annihilation still has a a pretty straight on narrative for the most part. Something that people can follow. I mean, it feels like. To me, like if I were to do that genre classification thing, I'd I'd say like it's an adventure mostly, and it's also a thriller. It's also a mystery. It's also a horror film. I was very pleased that this does go into straight up horror stuff too. Now, there's not a ton of like horror imagery in it, but there are some definitely freaky, scary moments, and um, you could say, well, there's not a ton of of well that's what i'm saying it's kind of not horror tropes or what Mm -hmm. we would expect from horror but i think if we look at the deeper implications of everything that's happening i think it's all horror in a lot of ways right you know what i mean like that's kind of what i'm saying i think it subverts our expectation of what we should expect from a horror film that's true but you could you could also you could point to quote unquote monsters you know here here or there i mean you could point to monstrosities in this um and and I think you could even call it like like Carl used the word alien, and I think when he said alien, I think he meant unfamiliar, is what he was referring to. 
But I think you could also call this a type of an alien movie, but that almost seems too reductive because it's broader than that. Yeah. Well, I think what, what this unknowingness does is it creates in film terms, it just creates suspense and tension, you know, and it works. So it works on us in a very traditional, uh, you know, suspense film type of way where you're kind of always waiting for the other shoe to drop. I definitely felt like that in stalker. I was just waiting but I was uneasy the entire time. You know what I mean? I was just kind of like, when's the thing going to happen? You know? And I felt like that (laughs) throughout, I think a lot of, of annihilation as well. I mean, this annihilation is definitely creepy and unsettling. And in the, and I won't go into any spoilers or anything, but there's, as we get to the end, there's kind of like this climactic, um, let's call it a face off. (laughs) And, um, And in that scene, at first, I was really rubbed the wrong way by this. I was kind of irritated and and impatient with this. But let me just tell you guys, the longer that went on and the more I thought about it, it kind of dawned on me and sunk in how and why that would be absolutely terrifying. And so by the end of this sequence... You know, as we're getting to the end, I'm like kind of losing it and freaking out a little bit because it was oh, yeah. so scary. <laughs> so scary. Yeah. It, because it's not the most, it's not the thing, again, as a horror fan, you wouldn't think that would be the, the scariest moment because visually it's not mm-mm. as scary as some other images we've seen before that. Right. You, you, we've seen a scene within a house with some characters kind of in chairs that that's more like traditional horror. This is a freaky moment. Mm-hmm. This is a big monstrous, you know, possibly paranormal. Something is happening mm-hmm. kind of monster. This is almost cartoonish, I guess, in some ways. Yeah. And, and, it, and, but it is so uncanny. And as you say, the longer it goes on, the more uneasy I became yeah. the more terrifying. The idea of it was, <laughs> yes, it was really unsettling. Yeah. I agree so much. And and that would be fun to um, talk about with a shrink because I think the reasons, <laughs> the reasons that that becomes so scary to us, I, I think are just kind of uh, dismantling. Carl, did it affect you that way too? Yeah, I found that I found that the concluding sequence really, really, really unsettling. And, you know, we're, we're not going to get into the specifics of it, but, um, I think it's fair to say that at least for me, it reminded me of the end of 2001 um, um, where he goes through that, all that color and then ends up in that kind of Baroque room and different things. Because for me, for I, maybe I'm the only one, but for me, the ending of 2001, I always thought was super scary. Um, <laughs> no, I, I agree. Yeah. You're kind of looking around for an explanation and, Definitely. and it just throws you and, the end of Annihilation kind of worked on that level for me, and especially there's kind of a an imitativeness at the end and that kind of face-off that you were describing that is just eerie and it just makes it makes you feel like like there's a shadow that won't go away, you know, and you're stuck in it. And, mm-hmm. and yeah, it's off-putting. So, side note on um, 2001 there, Carl. Um, little known fact, so there I won't go into the details, but there is a uh, baby in 2001 little known fact that baby is actually dave becker most, <laughs> not, under, 
Not everybody knew that, but just saying. Well, though, though I was not born, yeah. <laughs> while, while, while Stanley Kubrick was was shooting that, he you weren't around in nineteen sixty seven ish. Come on, no, no. <laughs> I think it's past the right, right. Okay, well, um, Wolfman Josh, um, what are your final thoughts and rating on Annihilation? I have liked this film more and more the more I thought about it. When I came out of the theater, I saw this with Matroid, and we had an incredible viewing experience <laughs> at the VIP lounge at the uh, Thanksgiving Point Megaplex Theater. It was unlike any viewing experience I've ever had. We went in with Matt. He, he's got the hookups, and we, <laughs> we watched this film in the VIP lounge. They brought us a full meal to eat <laughs> while we were watching the movie. Wow. We were in recliners with, they brought us blankets. I mean, it was weird. Um, it was great. But when I left the movie, I thought, okay, I either saw the worst movie I'll see this year or a masterpiece. And I'm not sure which one it is. <laughs> <laughs> and I think the longer I sit with it, the more I go toward masterpiece. I think this is an incredible piece of science fiction, horror, weird fiction cinema and and i loved it and i like it also even more for it's kind of introducing me to this idea of the weird and really thinking about that and and how that concept fits into all of these other films that i that i know and love and just experiencing this kind of feeling again and again and really digging into it with they remain in stalker as well um Mm -hmm. i don't know it's just been this great experience I've been really that I really enjoyed. And so I would recommend people see this in the theater. I don't think it's for everyone. I think, um, <laughs> I think it's the most accessible of probably a lot of the films we've talked about or we'll talk about tonight mm-hmm. because it is a big budget Hollywood movie at the end of the day. But I think there are a lot of what we used to call on the show, I guess, traditional horror fans. I don't know what that is anymore as we, the further we get into it, but seriously, <laughs> you know, you know, but but a lot of like '80s horror fans might not en- enjoy this as much because it does require a little bit more work on the audience's part. Maybe '70s horror fans would enjoy this more <laughs> than right. '80s horror fans. But uh, but I liked it a lot. I would give this an eight out of ten. I would say see this in the theater if you are okay with science fiction and art and weirdness. And um, I'm debating buying it when it comes out on, on Blu-ray at this point. I think if I were more of a science fiction fan, it, it would be a no brainer for me. Mm-hmm. Like I know Matt, for instance, was head over heels for this. This is like his favorite movie he's ever seen when we walked out of the movie theater. Oh yeah. Yeah. Definitely sci-fi horror. Right. So, so are you, yeah. so you're just not sure whether to tell say rent or buy it then just yet. Yeah. I mean, uh, yeah, <laughs> uh, for me, I, I guess I'm not, I'm not, I guess my recommendation for the audience would not be to buy it. I would say rent it first because it isn't going to be for everyone, but I do think it's worth seeing in the theater. I think it is a visual feast. And so it's worth seeing on the big screen. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So for me, I, I'm, I, I loved this film, which really surprised me as, especially, you know, given surprises what, me too. <laughs> I know, right? <laughs> given what I usually like, but I do think, as you said, Josh, it's it's fairly accessible for the weird or, you know, this, whatever we're calling this, if it's a subgenre or it's a tone or a mood, like Carl was saying. But yeah, so it's an 8.5 for me. I say uh, definitely see it in the theater. 
And I believe, so this is streaming on Netflix internationally, I'm told, and I think it's going to be streaming on Netflix in the United States pretty soon. That's my understanding. Do you guys have any other details on that? Just yet? I don't know the stream date in the U.S., but it is still in theaters in the U.S. Yeah, so probably um, not long after it leaves theaters here, it'll be on Netflix because it is on Netflix internationally. But anyways, um, and this is a buy to me because I think, um, number one, it's buy it to support great cinema. That's one thing. Buy it to support horror. But it's not necessarily a film that I would revisit a ton. But I could see, you know, putting it on kind of in the background just to have some some weird uh, tone. <laughs> I used weird unintentionally there. Some some bizarre like tone in the background. Uh, it's cool stuff. So what do you say, Carl? I would give it uh, an 8.5 out of 10 as well. Um, I really had a, a good experience watching it. It was so beautiful and it was really well acted. I just think Alex Garland is really one of the really great sci-fi directors right now. Um, I saw it with my wife and talking about it the next day was was a blast. We just mm-hmm. kind of tried to figure out the themes and the issues and really I think if you really want to see a beautiful movie that will provoke and get you talking with other people that have seen it, Annihilation is a great choice. See it in the theater. Um, I would recommend buying it uh, when it comes out. But maybe I think I would say to audiences that you'll know if you'll like it if you're into this kind of movie. (laughs) So you're probably going to buy it anyway. But, but, uh, (laughs) you know, a rental might be a good idea just just to know that you're going to like it as much as you, as you might. So mm-hmm. I really dug it highly recommended. So, yeah, absolutely. Okay. Well, thank you very much. That's our recommendation and review for annihilation. Dr. Shock, are you going to be uh, catching up with this one? Are you, are you intrigued? Yeah, I, I think definitely. Um, I, I think I will be, and I, I want to, I want to see both of them uh, that are being discussed tonight, but now absolutely this movie. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You'll dig it. Okay, at this point in episode 142, we're going to move into our feature review of They Remain. How many indigents do you think have been tortured and murdered in these woods? I shudder to think what this land has witnessed. Something spooked you, didn't it? What do you think our bosses are hoping to find out here? Really? So the premise of They Remain is about two scientists, Keith and Jessica, who are investigating um, an area of land that has at one point been the site of cult activity, um, kind of like a Manson family sort of, sort of cult. And it wasn't completely clear to me what they were looking for in their, in their researches, but they're researching the soil and the land and looking for anomalies and different things like that, recording them. And as, as their studies get deeper, they, they might hear a mysterious sound or, or see some, some kind of things that may or may not be hallucinations. And they start their reality starts to unravel in in some really interesting ways, and I won't tell the end or anything, but 
But as their studies get deeper and deeper, so do their experiences with what the land means and how to process all, all of the things that they're studying. So <laughs> feel free to fill that out. I, I tried to, ca- it's based on a Laird Barron short story. Right. Bad, but uh, Laird Barron's great. So. Mm-hmm. He, and he's another new weird author, correct? Definitely. Yeah, yeah, definitely. And it's directed by Philip Gallot, who, was the screenwriter of Europa Report from a few years back. I don't know if you guys saw that Uh, science fiction film that also deals with the weird in some ways. And I really liked Europa Report quite a bit. Um, I did too. Yeah. Very different film. But I think what he does here and what he does there are different, but they, but they are related. And um, I don't know. I was really impressed with this film. Now it, it is a lot more quiet than Annihilation and probably has more in common with Stalker in that way that not much is said throughout this film, not much happens throughout this film, but the characters are going on this emotional journey separate and with, with each other. And we find out things about their past and it has in some ways it has the vibe of a haunted house narrative with something like the haunting where uh, or the Amityville horror where what is out there might be seeping into us a little bit, you know, and there's that, that element of fear. I think that it pervades the film for me that there's something in the woods. There's something alive in the soil about of this place that, that links back to events that have occurred here in the past. And a little bit of that might be getting on us, you know, and, and these two researchers, what, one thing I think is interesting that is similar with Europa Report is that they both they work for a corporation. Not it's it's not a government funded uh, research trip. They work for this large corporation that has purchased this land for the purpose of this research to be done. But they're not given much information. And point of fact, like these two researchers did not know about the events that had taken place on this land, um, but the but the corporation did, and so. There, there are elements like that, and you start to wonder: Are there more elements that have been withheld from them by their employers as to why exactly they're there? Mm-hmm. So I thought that was cool too. But this has more of an art house indie vibe than Annihilation. Even it, go, it goes much further into the realm of um, living with and inside the characters' heads, and you know, beautiful photography, but but not splashy photography. It's obvious as you look back on the film that it was very low budget, but I don't, I didn't get that feeling watching it. I felt like oh no, uh, the visuals on display were very high quality. It's a beautiful film, but there's not a lot that happens in, in the same sense that it does in a film like Annihilation. <laughs> That's right. Did it, have the effect? it didn't really have any like CGI or any kind of, Right. It it was all natural and Mm -hmm. Uh really cool sci-fi sets that they were living in and kind of this camp, but, but also very small, you know, it it, it was a very smart use of resources from a filmmaking perspective Mm -hmm. because it had the feel of a science fiction film and, you know, they, they utilize the helicopter, they utilize these great sets, but, um, but it also, 
has that vibe of like a, a movie that takes place in a house or in a room, you know, and that so often we see done in, in an indie film that Sundance, but they were able to do that kind of within the realm of, of science fiction, which I thought was interesting. And, and in fact, uh, like the set you're mentioning, Josh, it reminded me a little bit of um, the triangle, how they kind of had that. Oh, yeah. yeah, I mean, it reminded me a little bit of that. And and so it's just a little backstory on this. So Josh, you know, is he, is he listed out the movies for this themed episode? Because when we pick our themes, we, we generally list the movies that we're going to be watching too. And so um, Josh is like, yeah, th- this might not be your kind of film. So he was giving me the heads up right away, but I was trying to do my homework and I did. And, and so I watched it. And initially, let me just, let me just come full circle here. Initially, I was um, griping at Josh through texting because it was it was very alienating to me, and and because as the film opens, like the first twenty minutes, I'm like, I love this setup, I love this premise, I'm very intrigued. And as they went, you know, they were kind of talking about um, the the scary religious cult that used to be in that area, and they're doing research, and I'm like, this is cool, and they're in the woods, and I love all that stuff. But then, like, t- toward the middle section, I was, like, griping at Josh and, like, sending texts and stuff. Not at him, but jo- Josh is like, I-, I told you this might not be your thing, right? Yeah, but- I, was, I was like, come on, man, I told you not to watch this. <laughs> like this. But here's what happened, uh, and I have to confess this. By the end of the film, like, seriously, the last, I don't know, the, the last act, the last third or whatever, I was... um. I was beaten into submission in a way because I I, I kind of went with the weird. You know how when you're um, learning how to swim or whatever, you're so tense and, and like your muscles are tense and then you like sink like a rock. But then when you start relaxing in the water, you can flow with the water. Well, that's what I finally started doing watching this film. And, and I, I, I'm happy to report that I, Carl, that I went with the weird a little bit and and there are some props in this uh, <laughs> that I think are super cool. And, and and it kind of, by the time it was over, and I won't spoil, but when the film ends, I'm like, that was so weird, for lack of a better term, that I feel really troubled and disturbed. And it, it did kind of scare me. Like when I went when I went to bed, I was unsettled after watching this. So, I mean, that's... I gotta respect that. Well, then it did it. It did its weird work on you. Yeah, it, it really did. It really did. And I, uh, yeah, by the halfway point, I'm like, never in a million years would this be a film for me. But by the time it was over, I'm, I'm glad I, I kept watching it because I, I did ultimately enjoy it by the end. What about you, Carl? A, well, you know, I really enjoyed watching it. I liked, I liked the way that things unfolded so slowly. Um, sometimes I would have, some, I think I would have liked it a tad better if it had been moved a little faster, but I liked the slow burn qualities to it. And I felt like it was worth getting to the concluding parts because they felt consistent with the rest of the, of the tone of the movie. I liked the connection that you made to the haunting because there is that definite element of studying something that like trying to scientifically weigh and measure and understand phenomena that mm-hmm. can't quite understand and the more you study and the more you dig the more you're not really sure who you even are right 
travel, you know, like I thought that was a nice connection. Um, it was good. It's, it's too bad. It won't get a broader audience because it's really worth watching the performances. And there's a lot of really slow kind of slow gazing looks at nature in that film that I, that really reminded me of annihilation in a lot of ways. You know, I, I did interview the filmmaker and we'll hear that interview here in a few minutes, but I asked him, you know, what do you think it's better or worse for your film that it's coming out at the same time as annihilation? And he kind of wasn't sure. He was like, yeah, I don't know. I've wondered that myself, but but I think as I've had some time to think about it, I think it actually is good because I think Mm -hmm. as we talk about these two films together and, and, and with stalker as well, I think we'll get a bit of a revival because of annihilation and, um, and the filmmakers talking about it so much. I, I think it's good that these films are all kind of existing at the same time. And I think a little film like this deserves more, like you said, more eyes. And I think it will get it, I think because of annihilation. So I think that's great. And I wouldn't hesitate at all to refer to this as like art house horror. I mean, it's indie horror, but it's all, it's also got a a strong art house flavor to it. And, and, you know, I think, there are a lot of viewers out there. I'm typically not one of them, but there are a lot of viewers who are, who like to go on this, on a journey with the cinema where they're taken to places that make them feel, um, you know, not, not just alienated, but even uncomfortable or out of sorts. Mm-hmm. And it's disorienting that way. And I don't know, there's power to that. Yeah. And I think art house audiences actually will appreciate this more than horror audiences to some degree, because, mm-hmm. I think there, I think as I kind of said at the beginning of the show, I think as a horror fan, we're so used to our tropes. We're just always waiting for the completion. You know, you're so, we talk about a tally of kills at the end of a film, which is kind of ridiculous, but, but it's just because we're so used to it. You, when I see a cult introduced at the beginning of the film, I'm expecting some big cult action at the end of the film. You know what I mean? And that's just not the type of film this is, you know, this is a experiential, it's kind of a mood piece Mm -hmm. more than anything, you know? And, but, but I do love this idea that Carl talked about that. The more you dig for answers, the less answers you have, and maybe the less you even know who you are. I thought that was excellent way of putting that Carl, because I think that's is exactly what this movie is and I think it is what it has in common for me with Stalker and Annihilation as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and and I will say that even though we've talked about how the the pacing and how it takes its time and what a slow burn it is, there are a you know there's there's some imagery in this that's truly troubling. That's like full blown horror imagery, and um. You know, I, I appreciated those moments too, but I, I think that as you described them earlier for the traditional like eighties horror fan, you know, it won't be quite as much as maybe what they're looking for. But I do think once again, Josh, to, to have the experience to kind of put yourself through it and to, um, you know, come out the other side, I think it's an interesting ride. Yeah. this is terrible film criticism on my part, but I was just so blown away by the filmmaker's director statement, which I read a little bit of earlier. And it was really the thing that got me fascinated about this idea of weird fiction from the 19th century and how that's changed as, as over time with, within, um, 
literature and also filmmaking, but he, he had some really cool statements. I would love to read if you, if you guys will indulge me Yeah, uh, just because I, I thought it was so fascinating the way he's talking about the weird and about his work. Um, he's talking about Baron's novel here, Laird Baron's, uh, short story, I should say, that this is based on. And he said, Baron's work is characterized by a dark vision of a carnivorous cosmos. It is populated by human characters who are perpetually at the whim of larger forces. They are strangers to themselves and to the world around them. What caught my attention in Baron's story was it al- was its almost militant weirdness. It is a slippery story. Once you think you get it, it slides away from you, introduces some new uncertainty, forces you to re-examine every detail it has given you. as a story that does not afford the reader an easy answer. Upon first reading it, I came away frustrated and angry, but with a keen desire to reread it. I wanted to know what answers lay hidden in the text. What had I missed? What clue would unlock the story for me? After reading it a second time, I had a keen desire to pass that frustration and desire for answers onto the audience. So I love that. I love that he felt angry and frustrated with the book, and he thought, okay, I want to pass that on to a film audience as well. It, it worked. It and worked I, for me. I, yeah. <laughs> and I love the way he describes it, you know, about – about, and I think we do this so much as, as audience members, and I definitely felt myself doing this with Annihilation, and they remain end stalker just looking for that key that would unlock everything and explain to me what I was watching. And oftentimes we're not given that mm-hmm. in this kind of sub genre. So I, I appreciate that a lot, mm-hmm. but yeah. I also understand not everyone will, <laughs> you know, right. That's for sure. So anything else, Carl, before we wrap up uh, our review of the, they remain, you know, just going off of what uh, of what Jay was saying, or I mean, Josh, it uh, it it really gets you staring at the screen, you know, because because you want to put the pieces together, and and when I watch a weird movie like this or like Annihilation, it's like I'm staring, 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 like like it rivets you to the screen because you don't want to miss even the slightest clue that uh, something will be revealed, and yeah. I, I love that statement that you read because it really shows that director's uh, care for, for getting this, this atmosphere and this tone just right. Um, Cause you take it away, you build it up and then you take it away and you leave the audience wondering what it is that they're even looking at. I, I dig that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Great. All right. So um, I'll, I'll go first here on the ratings. I, I think for they remain, on IMDb, this is classified as a thriller, which I know doesn't always mean much. But I think for like um, a quote-unquote hardcore horror fan, whatever that is, like people who are looking for a lot of horror-type action or gore or something like that, this doesn't have a ton of that. This probably would fall closer to the thriller category. But falling into the weird, yes, yeah, I, I see it that way. So <clears throat> for me... I mean, initially, like I said, I wasn't a fan, but by the end, I liked it. So I think there's there's stuff to appreciate here. So I, I would um, I would tend to recommend this more for a person who likes disturbing dramas. Let's call it like that. <laughs> Not as much for a horror fan, but for me, um, it's a five point five, and I I'll call it a rental um, because I do think it's pretty well done. What do you say, Carl? I would uh, rate it um, probably a seven and I would recommend, recommend it as a rental as well. 
Um, I don't think audiences will get a chance to see it in the theater. Um, but if they can stream it or rent it, I think they would have a good experience with it. Um, but it might not be one they're going to want to watch over and over and over again. But it's, it's really pretty. It's really well acted. It has a nice mood. And it's a good introduction to weird cinema, I think. Mm-hmm. Okay. Wolfman Josh? Uh, yeah, I would give this one a 7.5. And this is opening theatrically or is open theatrically in New York and Los Angeles in limited release. Okay. So, um, and there will be a national release if, you know, it, it will roll out to more audiences, I guess, depending on how well it does. But, um, but it's definitely one I can recommend to those audiences because I think p- people in those places and the theaters it's going to be screening in are, are art house theaters. And I think that's what this is. It's an art house horror film and it's a great example of the weird for me as well. Um, and so if you are interested in that, I think you'll be interested in this. I think if you've seen something like stalker and then you enjoy, enjoy that, I think you'll enjoy this. I think if you've seen annihilation and you're interested in digging deeper into that kind of, that kind of world, I think this is one worth checking out. Um, and I can easily recommend people rent this on VOD as well. I will also just want to give a quick shout out to the artist of the poster. This is my favorite poster that I've seen in a very long time. Mm-hmm. Uh, I was super impressed by this. It's Gene D'Angelo is the artist and this is just the coolest looking film poster I've ever seen. And so I looked up her website and she's also done another really interesting poster for a film. We'll be talking about on the next episode called pie Wacket. Um, which is a, an IFC midnight film, but man, what an interesting artist that she is. I love these movie posters she's making and I hope she keeps doing them. Cause I think these are unlike anything I've really seen before. Certainly not recently for a, for a primary poster. It looks more like those fan art posters that people release later, you know, than it does the theatrical poster. So I, I love what she's doing. Mm-hmm. I'm with you. Okay, so you say 7.5 out of 10. Um, and so if they are, if they're in the art house communities there in New York and LA, you tell them to see it in the theater, Josh? Yeah. Okay. And and, and I call it a rental. And again, this is not for everybody, but I think if you're either interested in the weird or art house horror, I think you are going to get something out of out of this one. And I think it's a great movie. Mm-hmm. Okay, so that's our uh, review of they remain and now if you'd like to move into the interview with the director philip gelat okay at this point in the show we are joined by writer director philip gelat welcome to horror movie podcast thanks for having me it's our pleasure to have you here i was listening to another interview with you earlier today and you mentioned in that interview that you don't like the term filmmaker you don't like calling yourself a filmmaker that it makes you feel silly, I believe you even said. And <laughs> as I look over your work, you, you've certainly done a lot more work as a writer, but this is your second film that you've directed. What is it about being a filmmaker that makes you uneasy? Um, so my, my default setting as a human being is sort of uh, self-effacing and, and unsure of myself. So <laughs> I think... I think uh, to be totally honest, I, I would never, I would never introduce myself and say I'm a writer either, because I, it also feels, it just feels, it feels loaded. But I, I, I'll say this: I do make films and I do write, 
but it, but there's something about the the term filmmaker that feels um, like it like it comes attached to an ego that I can't support. <laughs> you know, like the, <laughs> you know, like I uh, I don't have a Quentin Tarantino a- attitude about about myself or my work. So I feel like he can use that term. Like if you're that if you're there, you can do it. But I uh, it it just I was right in the interview. It makes me feel a little silly. <laughs> <laughs> we'll give it a couple more movies and see. Yeah. How you feel yeah. Then. Yeah, exactly. So most of our audience is probably f- most familiar with you as the writer of Europa Report, which is, yeah. I thought, an excellent film. This is your second directorial film. I have not, unfortunately, seen The Bleeding House yet. Mm-hmm. Um, could you tell us just a little bit about The Bleeding House? Sure. Um, so The Bleeding House was the very first script that I ever wrote to completion. Um, and I was lucky enough to then get the chance to direct it. It's like a stranger comes to a house kind of movie with some vague slashery overtones. Um, I will tell you this, the, the most interesting thing to me at this point about the bleeding house is actually that in the original draft of the script, it suddenly turned into a zombie movie. It was like a, like a, a stranger comes to a house and kills the family. What he doesn't realize is that the little girl can raise the dead. So, so it had like a it had like a zombie twist. Yeah. I was forced to take it out of the script. So what was left <laughs> is still an interesting. It's still an interesting movie. I mean, I, you know, I'm I, I'm not super happy with it, but that's just you know how things go. But it um it would have been especially at the time I wrote it, which was sort of before. You know, zombies sort of went through a moment that I, th- I think is just about over now. But I wrote it before, you know, Walking Dead, before a lot of the, the zombie thing had happened. So I thought I was being incredibly, you know, clever. Right. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, but that that version of the movie never got me. I, I love directing and as much as I love writing. They're they're very like they're very different skill sets, and I, I tend to think of myself a bit like a hobbit. Like if I could sit in my chair all day long with my computer and just just do that that is very happy to me, but I, I, you know, like Frodo, like Bilbo, occasionally you have to go out and have an adventure. So, um, <laughs> and <laughs> oftentimes, uh, while directing, I will think to myself, Oh, you know, in three weeks I'll be back in my comfy chair with my pipe and I can, right. <laughs> I can just think back on it as an adventure. But I mean, so I started directing basically because, because of bleeding house, um, I sent it to some producers, uh, and they put together a little bit of money to make it. And they couldn't find a director. So, again, this kind of stuff never happens, but it happened to me. They called and were like, so why don't you just direct it? And I was like, um, okay, like, let's, let's do this then. And after, you know, I'm sure a lot of um, people who make movies have this experience, but, like, I, every time a movie wraps, even if I've written it, I think to myself, well, that's it. I've never, like, I never, I'm done with movies. It's too hard. It's all, like, it's too much for me to handle. And then, but then I can't quit it. It's like, you know, it's like a, it's like being a junkie. You know, like, I, you're like, wait a minute. All that was, that was totally worth it. I need to do it again as soon as, soon as possible. Yeah. Um, so. So I was reading your director statement just before we got on the line here, and I was really impressed by a lot of the things that you wrote there. Mm-hmm. Um. For one, as, as I was watching the film, I definitely had the feeling, is this or is this not a horror film? You know, that it, it, there, there's a lot of opaque about it. Where are my exact thoughts? And as I was reading your director's statement, you use the word opaque and you address this question of whether or not this is a horror film or an yeah. art house film. And you talk about this in your mind maybe existing more in 
the world of the weird. The yeah. and and uh, I wonder if you could talk about the weird a little bit. Sure. So the weird, the capital W weird, is uh, I guess I would call it a subgenre of horror. Although I think a lot of people would would question that. But it, I mean, it has its roots basically in um, Weird Tales magazine and H.P. Lovecraft specifically, who, who sort of I'm not sure he coined the term, but it, but largely when people talk about the weird, the first person they talk about right. is Lovecraft. Right. Um, you know, I've read a lot of definitions of the weird, and for me. It's really all about um, telling genre stories um, where you have a kind of, I'm using the word slippage between genres. You know, they, they are horror stories, but they're not quite horror stories. Mm-hmm. Um, they're science fiction stories, but they have horrific elements. But that also, to be honest, doesn't quite capture what a weird tale is, because you could say, well, I'm going to say something that I'm going to contradict myself immediately. <laughs> so you could say, like, Alien is a science fiction film that has horror elements, or a horror film that's set in space. I'm not sure that I would call it a weird film. However, there are things about it that are that are weird. Like when they go into that ship, that giant, the the space jockey. Forget about Prometheus. Um, that space jockey is weird. That's a weird thing because it's unexplained and it is um, visually surreal and right. and odd. And it and it speaks to a kind of. Um, there's a, a lot in the weird that's about what I would call like cosmicism or a focus on humanity as not being as important as we think we are. I think a lot, a lot of weird has to do with that. And I would also say that I, I, for me, the weird is really also um, adjacent to like surrealism, Kafka-esque surrealism almost, where you're playing with dreamlike imagery or, or questions of what is or isn't real. Like I would, I would actually term David Lynch to be a pretty weird filmmaker. I'm not sure he would define himself to be that way. Right. I mean, he might, he might say small W weird, but I'm not sure that he would say, you know, capital right. W weird. I'm not sure if that's a useful definition, but that's sort of my my I love <laughs> my it. headspace. Yeah. I love it. Now we we spend a lot of time on the show discussing genre classification and yeah. and genre slippage and and all of these things. So that's a very interesting way to talk about your film. Um, yeah, because I probably would have called it like an art house horror film had I yeah. had I just been reviewing it. And I and I think I think that's a that is a fair. You could call that a synonym for the weird, like like art house horror. I think is definitely like the Venn diagram overlaps with the weird for sure, right. and, uh, and science fiction. And I think what's yep. so fascinating about this film as I watched it is how little information is given to the audience. Yeah. blatantly, it's always a layer that's being revealed. Slow, even just reading as I was looking at the IMDb synopsis, that tells you more about the entire film than you know for the first From 50 the film, minutes yeah, yeah. <laughs> and it's difficult i think as a you know what we do is just reviewing films or and recommending films to audiences it's hard to talk about a film like this without because you don't want to reveal all of and and really and in some cases the movies aren't about that plot they're about yeah. all of these other moments that you're creating for these characters and the emotional things they're going through and 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 having not seen your first film, what you what the IMDb description of that film t- talks about about this secret and this violent past, it mm-hmm. seems like maybe a tonal connection to what you're exploring here as well. Yeah. Um, with their remain, there's a lot in the past of these characters and the location they're at that is kept secret from the audience and and is revealed through kind of traumatic events that the characters are going through, whether that's in their head or not, you know, mm-hmm. 
how do you think about that? Uh, I mean, I'm clearly on the page that takes a lot of craft. When you're when you're actually out there with actors, how do you talk to them about these moments, and how do you approach that type of storytelling as a director? With a lot of trepidation. I mean, it's <laughs> it, it's very it's really hard, in particular with a movie like this, because I, I whenever I approach a project, I try to you know there are all these tools you sort of think about you know whether you're writing or directing it. Um, and one of them, and it sounds a little simple and stupid, but it is to try to hone your theme to as short a sentence or a single word as you possibly can, because that that helps inform every decision. So I knew that my thematic element for this movie was uncertainty, which I think you can see in the film. Yeah. But the, the thing about uncertainty is it's very hard, like, like when you're making a movie and you're the director of the movie, you can't be uncertain. Like you, like you have to, you have to say, oh, it should be this, or like we should do it this way, or listen to the idea that, and, and say that's the idea we're going to do. So it's hard. So basically, what I did was was sort of like what we're doing right now, which is discuss what I was going for, and that and that the movie needed to to feel uncertain, and that the that the audience needed to feel encouraged to engage with it actively. And and for the actors, you know, they. I'll say this: they they weren't uncertain about who they were playing, but I they were uncertain about what was going on in the plot of the movie, which That's is which, you know, which replicates the the characters they're playing basically. Like they yeah. they you know they know who they are. Um, well, un- until they don't, I think for Keith at least, <laughs> uh, for the male character at least, and that works pretty well. You know, and and for for like the DP for Sean, he is a big he's not a big genre guy, but he's a big art house guy. So it, it it's almost easier to talk to art house people about this kind of stuff because I was like, you know, like in my mind I was like The Shining, but to to Sean I was like, you know, Tarkovsky, it's Stalker, it's you know, think about right. it, like and then that kind of stuff he he gets, you know. So um, but yeah, it's hard if you pick a theme like uncertainty. Be prepared to find yourself stumbling through conversations, <laughs> like tr- trying to define the yeah. undefinable. How do you direct you know? uncertainty? That's the yeah, or, yeah. or act uncertainty. That's the that yes. is a difficult task. And also in the edit, I would think also that would be very difficult to decide what you can and cannot show. The thing I yeah. I also like about this film that reminds me to connect it to Europa Report is this. Well, for one thing, it's in kind of similar worlds where you have scientists on this mission for uh, kind of a corporate entity. That's fascinating to me. Was that something you intended to connect? Because that's not maybe not the most interesting question, but I, I am curious about kind of the well. Lar- well, yeah. So I, I'm going to say to that question, thank you, because I have always thought about this movie as a nightmarish reflection of of Europa Report. Okay. Like I, one of the reasons I picked the story was um, because of kind of what you're putting your finger on, which is that it is the broad contours of the story are largely the same. It's, it's, it's people who are trying to find something going into an unknown place. And, you know, in, in Europa, Europa Report is a very hopeful, optimistic movie about, I mean, everybody dies, but, but, but the fact that they've died is, is coded in that movie as a good thing. Like they have, they've given their lives to something greater than them and it, it was worth it because they learned something in the end that will that will better mankind yeah. and I, I i largely i mean i guess i hold both, both views in my head I, 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 so i i do prescribe to that opinion or i hold that opinion but when i read 30 i was like oh this is exactly the opposite of your report it's like two people who go into an unknown place uh are in a tight cramped circumstance um, yep. And in the end, they learn nothing, and 
right. whether they die or not, their fate is potentially worse than death. But at the end of the day, it doesn't like it's just it's such a it's such a, a much more bleak view of of like mankind's role in you know in in engaging with the world. So I, I have always thought of them as which fits um, with the weird. It does. Yes, that's a. It's it's actually so. It's funny. Like when we were making Europa Report, like Lovecraft would come up, um, and I, I I'm a very big Lovecraft fan, so I I almost think about Lovecraft no matter what I'm writing, even whether you can detect it or not. But so I I, I sort of viewed Europa Report to be a rebuke of Lovecraft's you know the, the cliche of Lovecraft's sto- stories and characters is that you know you encounter the unknown and it drives you mad. Right. And I was like, well, that's nonsense. Like, who sees an alien and goes immediately crazy? What if you see an alien and you're like, I'm going to, you know, learn something about it and send it back to, to Earth, la, 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 la. But this movie is is much more in keeping with, you know, traditional Lovecraftianism where your um, your human characters are fated to suffer terribly and have learned nothing <laughs> at the end of the day. <laughs> well, but I, but I yeah. love that the... And again, also, similarly to Europa Report... It's all about discovery, and the sci- these yeah. scientists don't care. Like they're willing to suffer the worst in order to do the work. And this in this film, they talk a lot about they're they're all about the work. They're obsessed with the work, and I love that yeah. scientific yeah. approach to the uh, world. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I I love characters who are um, who love what they're doing. Yeah. <laughs> like it's it's you know it's, it's good. Yeah, and um, presumably are good at what they're doing. That's just it's a cool um, world to take place. Well, thank you so much. I wish we could talk to you for a, a lot longer, Philip. But um, we, we appreciate. I, mean, I could, I could, I could do one more question if you if you've got one more. If you want to, if you've um, got anything well, else. Let me ask you this because I, I so I make documentaries, and I find yeah. often when people interview me, they never ask me about what I think is the most interesting thing. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> so let me ask you this: What do you think is something that you want to express about the film that you aren't often asked? Well, yeah, I sort of think you, you, you know you've hit on, on on some of it, but I mean, you know, I, I wanted to make. Well, I'll say this: One doesn't set out to make a movie like this thinking that it's going to be a crowd pleaser. Like I don't, I don't think that it's a movie for. I think a lot of even horror fans would would not necessarily consider it to be a horror film, but. What I, what I very much wanted was to make a movie that would encourage the right kind of viewer to like actively engage with viewing. Like I think a lot of times we, um, and movies as an art form are um, really good at this. Like they encourage you to sit back and be told the story. Like you, you sit back and you, you know, the story's told to you and at the end of the day you get what the story was. Um, but I think there's a whole other mode of movie making that is, um, more difficult than that and like that that sort of encourages viewers to like actively view and actively sort of search for what the story is or what the subtext of the story is so i was trying to make a movie like that trying to make a movie that was um you know a little bit aggravating but hopefully aggravating in the way that that viewers would think i need to i need to engage with that and figure out just what the hell that was and like what, what the truth of that was yeah um so that that's my pitch. That's I guess I guess maybe not the most interesting thing about it, but that's my pitch. <laughs> my pitch for the movie is if you want a movie that's going to make you work a little bit, then this is <laughs> this is the movie for you. Absolutely. And there's there are horrific elements. I mean, people people do die, so you know it's it's <laughs> hopefully fits within that genre as well. I'm curious yeah. um, because I think it is both unfortunate and fortuitous that this is coming out right around the same time as Annihilation, yep. which yep. you mentioned. Um, Stalker, yeah. which is, I think, also a major influence on, on Annihilation. Most definitely, yeah. 
Um, I think this is a great companion piece, and maybe for a smaller film, it's if you liked Annihilation, they remain as an incredible companion yeah. piece to this film. How do you feel about... I haven't had a chance to see Annihilation. I'm suspecting that I would love it. Um, I like Jeff Vandermeer's writing, but I like Laird Barron's writing more. Yes. Um, and we actually shot Laird Barron before Annihilation was announced. So I knew that they were making it, um, and I thought to myself, well, that's weird that they're doing the other big like weird landscape movie at the same time that we're doing this. Yeah. And the fact that they're coming out so close together is bizarre to me. Like, like yeah. I can't, I can't tell like sort of like what you're saying, I can't tell if it's good for my movie or bad for my movie. I, I do think, again, I haven't seen annihilation, but I do suspect that what you say is true, that, that if you like annihilation, you will probably like they remain They're They're definitely, um, they come from the same, quadrants of the weird and of you know yeah. sort of uh, unsettling movies about unsettling places and, and mankind's place um in them yeah uh, and i think I, what's great about they remain is it's kind of the more challenging of the two films in terms of uh, there's a lot to distract you in annihilation with you know cgi right. i mean just a, a ridiculous amount of cgi which i personally i'm not a fan of so to be yeah. able to strip that away and have it be within the psychology of these characters. It's kind of the meat of what I liked most about Annihilation. That's very nice to hear. Thank you. I'm, the other thing I'll say is I'm, I'm dying to know what people will think to think of They Remain because yeah. I, I do think it will be divisive, but I'm hoping that, that it will be divisive in, a, in again, in a productive way, that there will be yeah. people who really, who really love it and people who really hate it. And that, that's, that's fine by me. Like I, I, I like to make movies that, that are, um, you know, different. Uh, yeah. and are a little challenging. So uh, I'm excited to have it out there. All right. Well, thank you, Philip, so much for joining us. We'd love to have you back anytime. And uh, we're yeah, yeah, excited please, about uh, They Remain. Keep in touch. So, yeah, absolutely. Where is the best place for people to find you online if they want to get in touch with you? Or where can they best find They Remain? Um, so we are in theaters, uh, like art house theaters, through April, um, we're opening in New York on Friday, New York and New Mexico on Friday, and then we'll be in Los Angeles. Uh, and then uh, you should you should go to the They Remains Facebook page. That's where you can find the theaters we'll be in. And then we're on digital and VOD and Blu-ray um, in May. I will. I'm going to plug the Blu-ray disc. I, I pushed very hard to get fancy things on our Blu-ray disc, so. Um, there will be, there's like 12 minutes of deleted scenes, if you can believe it, that I put on the Blu-ray, um, that also had, and like, you know, a commentary with Laird to me, like, like, I'm, you know, obviously I'm a film geek, so I love a loaded disc. So I, I did my best to give us a loaded disc. Um, and if you want to find me online, I, I, the best place is probably Twitter. I, I'm, I sort of lurk on Twitter. I don't often comment, but you can find me. I'm PM Jeepers, J E E P R S, um, on Twitter. I'm also on Facebook. You can you can find me there too. So, um, and yeah, I'd love to hear if you hate the movie. You can tell me. It's okay. I don't mind. <laughs> <laughs> well, thanks, Philip. I think uh, I'm. I, I think you're doing really interesting work, and I look forward to seeing more of your work in the future. Yeah. Th- thank you so much, and thank you for taking the time to uh, to chat. Absolutely. All right. Once again, we want to thank filmmaker Philip Chilat. For his interview with us. That was wonderful. Thanks, Josh, for doing that. And um, at this point, as we wrap up our thoughts on the theme tonight, Carl of Cthulhu, let us know, uh, what are your takeaways now for the audience and for us on weird fiction? For me, the biggest takeaway... Oh, sorry. 
I'm hearing an echo. Is that me or is that someone else talking? Mm-hmm. I, I heard it too, and then it went away. Just, oh, okay. Yeah, I heard it for about a second there. Okay, I'll just. So for me, the biggest takeaway of this of within the study of weird fiction is to remember that it is about um, stripping away our sense of comfort with what is real. And as that strips away, making us question whether anything is real or understandable. And the other thing that I think is worth mentioning is that the weird is experiencing um, a lot of growth right now in popularity. And I think we're seeing a new wave of, of interest in the weird um, that is consistent with Lovecraft, but not necessarily relying on the way he might tell a story exactly. And I, I, I think movies like Annihilation are bringing the new weird to the public's eye and they remain is continuing that by looking at Laird Barron and, and trying to figure out how to translate these things to the screen, hoping this is the beginning of, of big things with, with uh, the weird um, across media. But, uh, but we'll see. Excellent, Carl. Thank you so much for joining us. It's a pleasure to have you and, and your insights on our little show here. Yes, so. definitely. Definitely. Thank you. Yeah, we're grateful. Fun to be on. And Carl, if you could let the listeners know where they could uh, catch up with you or find your work online. Um, they can find the Age of Lovecraft um, at any, any online um, bookstore. Um, and um, I am on Twitter at Carl Cedarholm. I, I mostly just retweet uh, Black Metal Cats, which is pictures of kittens with evil uh, black metal lyrics. <laughs> it's a really fun uh, Twitter feed. Um, um, I don't I don't get on Facebook as much anymore as I used to, but if you do reach out to me, I'll try to catch up with you at some point. But uh, feel free to get in touch with me. I'd be happy to to chat. So, is your article on the weird available anywhere that you're re- referencing? The new weird article is uh, it's not it's not available yet. I have one. I actually have two. So the new weird one will be out. Um, I finished it, and then and then I'm now making revisions to it for its final publication. It'll be out probably in six months, and then okay. I have a, I have another one on on weird and heavy metal um, that will oh, be cool. Yeah, that'll be coming out probably in about a year. Um, I will be posting on um, a website called academia.edu. I'll be posting in about a month an uh, earlier piece I've written about Lovecraft and heavy metal that might interest readers. And uh, I'm waiting another month because I'm not supposed to post it until it passes a certain threshold of time. So Okay. Um, mm, cool. Legal reasons. <laughs> gotcha. But, uh, All right. Um, but, yeah, if you're interested, Google me in about a month, and I hopefully that'll be available there. So. <laughs> okay, so about mid-April, you got it. Mid-April, you got it. All right, Carl. Thanks and Carl, me. to let you know, there's a new um, heavy metal horror film coming out on March 23rd that you should watch out for called Pie Wacket that I just mentioned the poster of. Oh, uh, yeah, tonight. yeah. Yeah, keep an eye out for that. It, it looks really cool, and we're going to hopefully talk about it on the next show. How are they spelling that? It's P Y E W A C K E T. 
Mm-hmm. I love the premise of that. Which, yeah. Okay. Tr- I'll, I'll look at it. That sounds amazing. I'm sure it would be really fun. So, All right, Carl. Thanks again. You have thanks, a good night. Carl. You got it. Good night, guys. Take care, buddy. Good night. Thanks. Have a good night. Take care. All right. At this point in episode 142, let's move into our weird collector's crypt. All right. Um, the collector's crypt. We have a couple movies that we're looking at tonight that um, sort of fit into this theme. These are newer releases on Blu-ray. And one was released by Vinegar Syndrome. It is a movie called Prey, P-R-E-Y. 1977, I think it was released from England. Mm-hmm. Uh, the basic premise is an alien comes to Earth, and he's uh, it's uh, an interesting type of alien. He turns into a, uh, a a creature. I guess it's almost like a werewolf type creature, um, but he also is able to um, uh, he adapts the identity of uh, one of the first people he encounters and uh, ends up spending time uh, with a uh, lesbian couple who are living by themselves in a large house, uh, sort of in the middle of nowhere, which it's, it's, I thought it was very interesting that they, they went with this lesbian couple, but it's um, mm. there's something more to them as well. It's, it's not just sort of a straight up uh, couple situation here. Um, right. One of them is definitely the dominant and um, some hints of some darkness there and how far they're willing to go to sort of preserve this relationship. Would you call it? It's an exploitation film. I, I, think fiction so. horror. I, I think so, because, you know, it, it does. When you hear about it being like a lesbian couple, you think, wow, that's really progressive for this time period. But, you know, they, they do have a few scenes in there that are that are very exploitive. And also, um, it's not, as I said, it's not just sort of a straight up relationship. There's a, there's, there's a darkness there as well. Um, you know, in the fact that one is, is sort of controlling the other. Um, and I will say though, towards the end, the, there are some, um, some gore scenes that I was impressed with, especially when you consider how low budget it was. Right. It, yeah, it was reminiscent of that of the Living Dead to me a little bit. Some of the uh yeah, some of the gore on display. Mm-hmm. Um yeah, it's 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 probably what one of the things it's best known for is an erotic sex scene between this lesbian couple. It's one of the things the film's I think best known for. Um mm-hmm. is that it was a pretty explicit scene for the time and yeah. just something that wasn't common, I guess, in in cinema at the time. So Right in the, in the late in the later seventies, yeah, it's an interesting movie, especially when you consider now. One of the things uh, again, this came, this is Vinegar Syndrome released this. Uh, there are some interviews in the special features. There's a commentary track, which you can watch, but the commentary track kind of goes over because there's an interview with the director, there's an interview with um, with one of the stars and uh, the producer of the movie. And this film was incredibly low budget. It was uh, made by a, a cast or a, a crew, I should say, that had just sort of finished up one of the Pink Panther films. Right. Yeah. Um, so then they were uh, going to turn around and make this one very inexpensively. They shot it. And in, it's interesting because the director is going through everything about how he went through the process. He called up, said, well, we're going to make it for hardly any money. The director says, oh, yeah, no, I like the I like the idea. No, they told him the idea. He's like, no, I like it. He's like, okay, well, 
where you have to shoot it in 10 days. Oh, okay. Well, that's a, that's a problem. You also, uh, we only have a couple weeks of pre-production. Okay. Well, you know, yeah, it's still, I'm, I'm on board still. Oh, and we don't have a script. We just have an idea. So all of these <laughs> things sort of played into the fact that, that, that but, but he still signed on to it. And, um, I did think it was rather, uh, I thought it was an interesting movie. I don't know. He, he somehow gotta, pulled it off to some degree. Yeah. I mean, he's known as, and we should say, uh, his name is Norman J. Warren. I guess he's known as kind of one of the great cult horror filmmakers from the UK. Mm-hmm. I haven't seen any of his films, but I'm going to search them out now. Um, yeah. Horror Planet, also known as Inseminoid, and Bloody New Year are two of his bigger films oh. that he's made. Nice. But yeah, it was interesting. I mean, you said werewolf. I, it kind of looked like a dog to me, to be honest. Yeah, a little bit. Yeah, a little bit. I def- definitely that sort of creature. Um, and, and they did something with the eyes, like with contact yeah. lenses. That, that, that was really was even, cool. Yeah, that was even more effective, I think, than the makeup. But it is funny, yeah, when you talk about the filmmakers, they basically said, listen, we we have this really cool office here at the studio <laughs> that we right. have for the peak Panther. Can we just keep it and you give us a little bit of money and we'll make a horror film. And it, man, they, they give hardly any money, no time. And on one hand, yeah, I kind of see that in the movie, but on the other mm-hmm. hand, it's pretty interesting for how little they had to work with. You know I mean? It looks great. Agreed. You would never know what's low budget from the location. They've got this beautiful house in the woods and, and, the setting is awesome. It really and is. And it's all, it's all yeah. Shepperton studios, which I thought was interesting. Yes. It's like the backlog of the Shepperton studios, which is shocking because yeah. you would, it doesn't look like a backlot at all. It looks like they're really out in the wilderness. Absolutely. And the cast is really good, especially as you said, the kind of dominant lady in the couple. I mm-hmm. thought she was fantastic Absolutely. in the movie, Absolutely. but I really like the cast of this movie as well. And uh, and the disc is great. This one from Vinegar Syndrome. It's got this newly restored and, and scanned 2K transfer from the original 35 millimeter negative. It's got commentary tracks, and then those three little interviews that you mentioned. So it's I think it's a great package. I, I liked it a lot. It, it is, and then the interviews are not. You know, sometimes they're they're throwaways when they when they put them on these discs. But it's it's like over 20 minutes with the director. Um, and I know it's, it's almost, yeah, there it's almost 15 minutes with, with the actress as well. And then the two say, they get together for the commentary. Yeah. I will say the commentary was not quite as good as the, no, interview. no, I it, agree. It's a little meandering. They kind of start talking about a lot of side conversations. They're not always talking about the movie. And- exactly. Yeah. That, that's a feeling I didn't see. I didn't sit through the whole commentary. I'll, I'll, I'll admit that. But I, as I was watching it, Either the director was sort of recapping things that he already talked about in the interview, or it was more like a reunion of the two of them. And they're just sort of getting together and, you know, talking about how um, they had all these great days to shoot. It was like in the middle of the, it was May and June and they had all these wonderful, sunny, warm days to shoot, which is having been to England is not the norm. Um, You know, tended tends tend to, um, get some wet weather here and a little, not, not quite warm all the time. So it was uh, unusual, but it really does look like beautiful summer days, um, you know, shooting this. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. It was interesting. You know, she, she did a, such a great job in the film and I guess she came from theater. And so he, he kind of mentioned, you know, we had a very 
we had to really rely on your experience to get us through. And the mm-hmm. younger actress who plays the other half of the couple, this was her first film. And he said, sometimes she'd make mistakes, but she had this presence about her that just made it work. She would, she'd come into a room and she was supposed to turn left. She should go right. But somehow she just made, she would be able to correct and make it work for the scene, you know? Right. <laughs> right. That was kind of funny. <laughs> yeah, Definitely. So that's a recommend for me. I'd, I'd pick that up at Vinegar Syndrome. If, th- if that sounds interesting to you, it, clearly not for everyone. It's a B movie. It's exploitation. It's schlock. But if that's up your alley, I think Prey is a pretty fun B sci-fi horror picture. I agree. And then the other one we're looking at is um, more well-known, I think, among, <laughs> among horror fans, especially those in the 80s. It's uh, Basket Case. <laughs> yes. Uh, this one comes courtesy of Arrow. And I checked out some of the features on this. I, some of them had, were sort of copied, at least the ones that I saw were, were copied over from the Something Weird DVD that had been on there. But they're excellent special features. There's a basic premise for Basket Case for those who are not familiar. Um, this, this guy goes to, um, to New York and he's, he's living in this uh, hotel and he has this basket that he carries around with him. And every, you know, everyone's always asking, what's in the basket? What's in the basket? Well, it's, he, he says, it's my brother in the basket. Uh, it turns out that it is his, um, he <laughs> was a recently separated, uh, conjoined twin, but it was not a normal conjoined twin. It's more of this mass of just flesh that had been his brother uh, that he carries around in the basket and um, is a little nasty as well. Uh, you know, he's definitely got a mean streak in him, this little mass of flesh and ten, and he can, um, seems to get around pretty well uh, also. Uh, but it was shot in New York. Uh, there is that grittiness to this movie, you know, that sort of gritty New York scene. But one of the things I got from the special features, I always thought it was so cool. Um, there's, there are scenes in the lobby of this hotel where he's staying, well, the hotel where he was staying, where they shot this in New York, did not have a lobby. So what they did was they propped open the freight elevator, stuck a desk in there, and had this guy crawl over the desk and pretend like this freight elevator was the lobby of this building. They were not able to go back in and, and, and shoot you know, to, 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 to take a look at this place. Uh, but I always thought that was so clever, you know, because you're looking at this movie and you think, oh, yeah, that's the lobby of, of this hotel. You wouldn't think it's a freight elevator. It's very clever. It was a Frank Henenlalter, uh, I think, is the director. Mm-hmm, correct. Um, and I just thought that was always very clever, you know, that, that, that the way they were able to do that. Um, not great acting in this movie. <laughs> it's, it's just not, you know, it's, it's not a movie that's it's going to impress you with that. I don't even know if you'd say that the, the effects are great, but there's, there's, a, there's a sort of zany fun to this. Uh, I have <laughs> not seen the sequels. I have to be honest. I have not seen the sequels to Basket Case. I haven't but I always, I always enjoy Basket Case. I always enjoy going back and revisiting it. Mm-hmm. It's a classic. It's a weird classic. <laughs> yeah, yeah, definitely. Uh, so this disc I'm looking at, it has a brand new 4K restoration from the original 16 millimeter negative. And it was done by MoMA, who, as we, you know, we know recently did the night of the living dead yeah. 4k restoration. They do an amazing job. So that's cool. Um, it does have some new interviews. It has a new commentary. It has an interview with uh, Joe Bob Briggs, which is kind of fun. Right. 
And then, as you said, it carried over a bunch of features from the last release. So, yeah, there's, it's a it's a really cool release and um, new artwork and stuff as well. So, mm-hmm. and Arrow is always uh, excellent. You know, Arrow is almost like the Criterion of of the the, the horror exploitation uh, films. Not that Criterion doesn't uh, drift into that area on occasion themselves. Uh, but, but Arrow just does such a great job. I was so excited when they came to America, you know, yes. um, and started releasing here. And, and these are the type of films they're putting out that, that makes it even better. Totally. <laughs> yeah. Even though I'm not, it's been a long time on this, but even though I'm not typically, uh, you know, this kind of, a cause it's kind of quirky, it's kind of comedic, but I, I love this premise. I mean, I, yeah, that is a great premise. Yeah, and it's got uh, a little, a, little bit a, of a beastly freak aspect mm-hmm. to it, Jay. <laughs> That's right. Yeah, I, I know. Yeah, yeah I, and I, this this I crazy that. scene where the, the the brother running through New York, uh, and it's not really. It's like the the one brother, but it's supposed to be the other brother running through the s- streets of New York naked, which, as I understand, <laughs> was shot on an incredibly cold night. Sure, um, like in the middle of the winter. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> right. Yeah, right. And he and he just got out of the pool. Uh, but no, it, it, um, <laughs> it's just, but again, it's just one of those really fun, really fun eighties movies. And I, and I always, I always enjoy it. Mm-hmm. Me too. Nice. So yeah, this one's another recommend for me. I would definitely check out if you, if you like basket case, I know we have a lot of fans out there. This is a must own this, uh, arrow video. Absolutely. Basket yes, mm-hmm. definitely. All right. Okay. Before we wrap up here, I just want everybody to know. So, um, we are going to be reviewing The Strangers Pray at Night, but in order to get um, a big, a raucous uh, battle of a review, <laughs> you know, because uh, I'm I, Josh, I I love this film. I wasn't sh- quiet or shy about that on Twitter. I mean, I went nuts about how, saying how much I loved it and how pleased I was. But I've actually heard a lot of people who don't like it, and so we've got we've got a buddy in the horror podcasting community who might be joining us next time, and, and you're going to see it for our next episode, right? So yeah, we'll be absolutely. able to have it out on that one. Cool, but yeah, it's it's been very divisive. Um, people loving it or hating it, so. it'll be interesting i'm excited to talk about it with you and and i just want to tell people i'm shocked and disappointed in you no i'm just kidding (laughs) but but we'll 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 get to that i guess but i but if you haven't seen it everybody (laughs) yeah this is going to be serious business but if you haven't seen the strangers pray at night i i say go see it in the theater obviously but I'll, i'll tell you all the reasons to love it next time and the other thing that everybody's um, everybody's buzzing about that we're definitely covering for our next episode is Veronica streaming on Netflix. Yeah. So that should be cool. And and Pie Wacket as well. I want to get that name out there because that movie looks incredible. I'm super excited to watch. I don't know if it's good or not yet. I haven't seen it yet, but it's <laughs> one on my list. So okay, Pray at Night, Veronica, and Pie Wacket, among probably many others oh, that we're yeah. going to be talking about. It's going to be hardcore, so make sure you uh, catch up with us in two weeks. And if you're not subscribed, subscribe for free, and then make sure you don't miss any of our episodes. Go to the comments at horrormoviepodcast.com and let us know what you think of the weird. Have Is this something you were aware of? Are you a reader of weird fiction or new weird fiction? Are you a Lovecraft fan? Is Are you like us and you have never really even heard of this concept and you're now realizing, <laughs> oh, yeah, there's a lot of stuff that I that I like. or don't like that fits into this 
kind of subcategory of horror. So I don't know. I'm curious to hear what people think of the weird. Mm -hmm. All right. Well, that just about wraps up episode 142 of Horror Movie Podcast. Uh, We thank you for listening. We hope you've enjoyed this episode on the weird. And we want to thank our uh, special guest, Carl Cederholm. It was great to have him back again. It's always Absolutely. a pleasure when he joins us. Mm-hmm. Definitely. And and you know what? It's funny because going into this, I wasn't I, I hadn't had a full grasp on what exactly defined the weird. But, um, you know, listening to Carl go uh, sort of uh, explain it, mm-hmm. it, it, it definitely helped. This was this was an area I, I knew nothing about Same. You know, uh, going into this. So that was great that he came on <laughs> and, and sort of guided us through this, you know, mm-hmm. totally agree. Yeah. Yeah. No, yeah, it's fun because it's rare that all three of us have a blind spot. And and I think it it happens a lot that one of us has a blind spot or two of us have a blind spot. But this was kind of interesting because I don't think we've ever had the situation where really all three of us didn't know anything about a pretty major significant <laughs> know. Right, you know section of horror and so that, yeah thankfully carl was able to bail us out there mm-hmm. right yeah all right dave well um let the listeners know where they can catch up with you absolutely i'm the dvd infatuation.com um still going um g- g- closing in now i'm down to getting down to the last 10 um yeah yeah and it, and it, actually I'm, i have a few days coming up where i'm hoping i could put like two or three out in one day um and, and kind of really chip away at this uh but uh, also uh in twitter at dvd infatuation facebook also and instagram i'm on both of those as well i'm i am in um letterboxd Mm-hmm. And you can find me on uh, the other podcasts that I'm on are, are the Universal Monsters cast, the uh, We Deal in Lead uh, Western podcast, mm-hmm. uh, where we just did the um, uh, True Grit, which is out now, where we, we looked at the original True Grit and the uh, Cone Brothers 2010 as a versus. Nice. And also, um, well, we have another one coming up. I don't know if we're ready to quite talk about that one yet, but uh, another one in the works. Mm-hmm. I like that show a lot. That's a good one. Yeah, definitely. All right. Yeah, that's perfect. So what about you, Wolfman Josh? Where can listeners find you? Well, um, right here on Horror Movie Podcast, that's all I got going right now because I can still trying to deal with getting movie streamcast, Universal Monsters cast up and running. I'm at the point now where it looks like I'm rebuilding completely new websites and pointing those at the old domain. So mm-hmm. fun times, <laughs> but definitely uh, check out those shows if you haven't yet. Uh, I- I'm really proud of all the stuff we've done at Universal Monsters cast. I think we've put out yeah. some good content we will continue to do so uh in the very Absolutely. near future mm-hmm. and, and then we've only covered and we've only covered one monster that's the yeah. amazing part <laughs> we put out a lot of stuff and we've only covered one monster uh, you can check me out on social media at icarus arts and that's twitter instagram facebook and uh i don't know is there anything else worth doing i considered snapchat but i don't I, I'm not doing that. I don't get it. <laughs> it's like I'm not doing that. Right. Yeah. I have I have I don't get on Instagram as much as I should either. I, I there's just a lot of stuff out there right now. There's a lot. Instagram and Twitter are kind of my home bases. I don't I don't do Facebook as much as I should because I know a lot of our audience is on there, but I just 
Right. I have to interact with people from high school when I get on there, and I don't want to do that. So. It's really right? funny. Face, <laughs> Facebook is one of those things where people you were never friends with are all of a sudden your friends. You know, yeah, you, yeah. you become friends with people in high school who, I mean, I, I'm friends with people from my high school who I don't know that I ever once encountered them in the hallways. <laughs> uh, and all of a sudden I get a friend request from them. It's 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 very uh, sort of surreal that your past seems to catch up with you. And you look and you say, oh, here's people from the neighborhood when I was a kid. Here's people from high school. And I never really interacted with any of them. You know what? I would love a social media. If there are any kids out there, any of you young or ambunctious kids who are in, uh, in in college and your undergraduate looking to get some multimedia credits, we, we could use a social media intern. <laughs> so, <laughs> yeah, yeah, definitely. Get in, get in touch. Yeah. For the whole network, really, right? Yeah, yeah. And we can get you some school credit. I've, I've, uh, I've had several interns do this kind of stuff for me in the past um, before kind of got into the podcasting world so get in touch we'll get you some we'll get you some class credit and you can help us out on facebook (laughs) (laughs) i just can't i just can't get the enthusiasm up as high as it needs to be yeah (laughs) well you do a great job on twitter especially with um, thank you horror movie cast i i enjoy i enjoy that a lot at once in a blue moon i'll jump on there and smart off and say things that upset people. It's but funny. It's always easy to tell kind of when it's you. That's right. Just so there's a certain level of hyperbole. <laughs> yeah. That, that goes with a J of the dead tweet. I think <laughs> that kind of is your signature. Oh, yeah. it's, it's sincere. It's sincere though. When it's <laughs> controversy, I'll make it clear that it's me and I'm not representing <laughs> you guys. <laughs> I, I, I usually do that too. If it's, um, mm-hmm somewhat controversial the funny thing is is there are certain people who hate my guts and i'll tweet to them as horror movie podcast without signing it because i'm i'm very kind to all of these folks mm-hmm. i guess they just assume it's you and then they'll bash me separately <laughs> like come on dude i've been interacting with you for the last like two weeks like we've been having right. these great interactions but you just people say jay you're so much nicer than josh yeah. Oh, I haven't. <laughs> I haven't read Josh, that on there. Josh is very nice to everybody. I just want you to know. Absolutely. Yep. Absolutely. And we both have a very mean streak as well. <laughs> yes. Yes, we do. That's true. That's true about us. So, uh, speaking of mean streaks and such, uh, if people want to check out Movie Podcast Weekly, that shows utterly ridiculous but we we hope we hope you'll check it out if you want to see what's going on with new stuff in theaters <laughs> and i got a um a considering the cinema.com that i got a third episode finally coming out on that which is for ephraim cats and the film encyclopedia for all you cinephiles so nice. I, I just want to plug dave's episode of poltergeist with with oh, william Rowan jr on yeah. movie moments podcast yeah if you've not heard Movie Moments yet, it really is my favorite podcast I've ever listened to. And really, yeah, there's so much personal stuff on there. I mean, you yeah. just sort of open up when you're talking about these these movies from mm-hmm. your past, you know? Yeah. And it's weird because it, it is, there's a certain level of self-indulgence because it's all of our friends. But I think if you're a listener to the network, you'll probably get as much out of it as we do. It's so much fun to listen to, to Dave or Jay have these conversations and... Mm-hmm. And talk about really, yeah, I don't know, just interesting personal kind of uh, anecdotes. And it's it's a different take on 
film podcasting than we usually have on the network. So. And, Absolutely. And what impresses me about it is the way that William William tends to be able to roll with who I mean with anybody he's talking to, no matter where they go. I mean, he'll hang right with them, which is Absolutely. I think would be very difficult sometimes. So I mean, Absolutely, and that, and it doesn't matter. You know, that you take you, you go down that personal road, and he's right there with you. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Yeah. So that's uh, moviemomentspodcast.com. Highly recommend it. Um, all three of us have been on there and now, and it's been a blast. And we've all talked about horror movies at some point on there as well. So, mm-hmm. Right. That's right. Mm-hmm. So we love your comments. We hope you'll get involved in the horror movie podcast community with all our friends there. <clears throat> Losing my voice, Josh. Uh, keep them coming. <laughs> it's not nearly as late for us as it is for Dave. And so I'm, no. I'm feeling like a little softy right now anyways you can email us at horrormoviepodcast at gmail.com we also have a voicemail line 801-382-8789 and all of our episodes all 142 are at horrormoviepodcast.com we also have back archives of the weekly horror movie podcast as well as horror metropolis we're on itunes you can subscribe there for free and leave us a review if you want to support the show and you can follow us on Twitter at Horror Movie Cast, as well as on Instagram. We want to thank Fred Ingram for the use of his music for the Horror Movie Podcast theme song. You can find more of Fred's music at frederickingram.com. And we also want to thank Kagan Breitenbach, um, master composer extraordinaire, for his <laughs> reworking of Fred's original theme. You can hear more of Kagan's work at kaganbreitenbach.com. It'll be linked in the show notes. And I think that's it for episode 142. We hope you'll join us again in two weeks for our next Frankensteinian episode. I can tell you right now, that thing is going to be packed with lots of horror movies. I'm very excited about it. Oh, man. Tons of new releases to talk about. Tons. So thank you for listening. And join us again Friday after next for Horror Movie Podcast, where we're dead serious about horror movies. <laughs>